Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker, and it is great to be back with you for another episode. This is episode 105, and I can tell you this is going to be a jam-packed episode, as I guess the last uh, number have been, but um, we have got two featured guests on this episode So let's get uh, to exactly what the details of that are. First of all, uh, we will have Camden Proud joining us to recap the racing from a couple of weeks back. All of the Mr. 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 races (laughs) Uh, we will recap those. And um, we've also got the Mr. Super Modified race winner, Jeff Abold. Well, because it's episode 105, you see, and So the number that we're going to talk about later and what's in the number is 05. So I thought going into this show, well, what better uh, a time to have Jeff Abel back on the show to talk about, you know, his season this year and what's coming up and, you know, kind of how things have been. And lo and behold, he goes out and wins Mr. Super Modified, which sort of cinched why we're having him here. That made it irresistible. And then as I was interviewing Jeff, I got thinking, well, wait a minute. We've never had Pat a bold on a show. Well, so now we have Pat. (laughs) So Jeff and Pat, this is going to be the first kind of current father son. Um, We had Warren and uh, Ryan Conium, but that was those were both re airs. So. This will be the first time we've had a father and son, I believe. No, actually not. I think I had, I think I had Jeff Locke with one of his sons and maybe both of them. I don't remember. Uh, But I think the Locks actually were the first one that I did like that. But, um, but this is really going to be fun. Uh, Jeff and Pat were both great interviews. So I can't wait to present those to you. And and again, we've got Camden coming up as well. So this is going to be uh, a very, very action-packed show. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from Pat. I learned a few things uh, from that interview that I didn't know. Uh, and then there were a few things that he told me about that I'd just forgotten. But um, Jeff and Pat are both such great communicators. They speak very well, and, and they're very conversational, very uh fascinating and um and enlightening frankly to to talk to so um first time i'd had a chance to have a real have a real conversation with pat in quite a while so i was very thankful they were preparing for sandusky uh when we uh interviewed them both and so um that's what's coming up there and then of course uh, what's in the number we'll look at the zero five as well uh as we start our Uh, closing segment of the show and so um, I'm going to simply keep this open very short here we are going to step aside and you're going to hear from uh, one of our great sponsors 
of this program. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Camden Brown, who's going to be sitting in the tower at the Oswego Speedway. And you're going to hear race cars going around in the background. That's always the best kind of natural sound for an interview, isn't it? We'll be back to get Inside Groove episode 105 started right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to The Groove. Episode 105 continues. Camden Proud has joined us, and Camden is seated comfortably in the confines of the Oswego Speedway Tower right now. There are cars going around the racetrack, which is always exciting for me. So uh, tell us what's going on up there, Cam, on this Friday afternoon. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, and we kind of have a double practice going on today with the Atlantic Coast old-timers here. There's actually about 15 of them in the pits, and then our regular Fast Friday session later on from 4 to 8. But these guys run until 3, and they've got all sorts of stock cars and sprinters, Indy cars, modified scoops. It's pretty neat to watch, actually. Wow, that's awesome. Look, be looking forward to some pictures uh, on social media of that. Um, sounds like it's going to be a fun time. And I know obviously this is retro weekend. We got the old timers reunion tomorrow, which I am really, um, unhappy to be missing, but, uh, we'll get it back into our schedule for next year. Um, and, uh, retro night at the track, some awesome restored cars going to be there and part of the festivities and should be a lot of fun, but I want to take us back um to two weeks ago because we had the mr 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 races uh triple misters this year uh we have the 350 the sbs and the supers i'm gonna start with the mr 350 super modified event and um i there is something that just seems really entertaining and fun about the fact that you would think a Mr. title would go to somebody that's been doing this type of thing, you know, whatever it's for, for like 10 or 15 or 20 years. Instead, the Mr. 350 super modified title went to a young man who I don't even know if he's shaving yet and he's already got a belt. How does that work? I, I don't know. Is he even driving on the road yet? And yes, I don't know. Super, I don't know. He, he just turned 16 before the season starts. But, man, he's he's really taken the bull by the horns this season, so to speak. Sure has. Just done a phenomenal job in his first full-time effort at Oswego. And 
you look at the caliber of cars and drivers that he's competing with, and it just makes it all that much more impressive. I know it. I mean, when you when you look at uh, the drivers, that, I mean, you, you you got guys like Brian Sobish. You've had Tyler Thompson in the field. You've got drivers that have been doing this for a long, long time in one form of racing or another. And this kid just comes in on, you know, one of the, the biggest events of the year and kind of just walks right on by and uh, and goes out and, and just, I don't want to say dominated because it wasn't like he won by half a track, but he, you know, once he got in the lead, I mean, you know, it was pretty obvious unless something happened, he was going to win the race. It was a, a really strong performance for Chase, and I think it really just uh, shows you, um, you know, how how far he's come in such a short time. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it, it did take him some time to get up through the field, but once he was out front, it kind of turned into more of a, a dominant win. I think he ended up winning by half a track. Actually. Did he was, in the end? Was it that bad? Yeah, I it, think it, was. it was unbelievable, okay. just the, the speed that car is able to carry in the corners. He's not even letting off until the second light tower going into turn one, and I'm looking at that right now thinking, how is that even possible? <laughs> but, <laughs> he, yeah, he's he's come on really well this year, and, and we all knew that it was going to happen, and now has kind of extended his points lead as well. And just, again, doesn't put himself in any bad situation. No. He's consistent. If he's, if he's not going to win, then he's probably in the top five or, or on the podium. He doesn't overdrive the car. He doesn't put himself in bad situations. So that consistency is paying off. But it's still going to be a tight race for the championship because Brian Sobus is only 23 points behind. A little bit more of a comfortable edge for chase but certainly not over yet by any means no it's not over and and that's why you know it was kind of a dominant win but i i mean it isn't like brian and there's a there have been a couple of others that are really really fast but just on that night i mean you say it took him a while to get through the field but it it didn't look that hard right i mean he, he would come up on a car and it wasn't like he had to fight with anybody for four or five laps at a time he just drove on by them all it was it was unbelievable that car was on a rail um, but, uh, that was again, a great race. And, you know, Brian Sobis is, has been probably outside of chase. He's been the most consistent, I feel like, um, you know, which is why he's in the position he's in. But I almost feel like as we go down the stretch here through the month of August, we got two shows left, right? I feel like Brian's got to get to victory lane and, and he's got to be able to beat chase and, um, you know, and, and, and keep Chase from winning more races here because if Brian doesn't win, there seems to be there's this pack of cars. You know, you could be fifth or sixth as easily as you could be second. And yes. you know what I mean? So the only the, the only way that Brian can assure himself of, you know, a championship is be out front and win and let Chase deal with the pack. You know, That's it. Yeah. And Brian's going to have a little bit better of a starting position than Chase now the next next weekend when the 350s yeah. are back. So. That's uh yeah the the ball's kind of in Brian's court now and he's just got to keep the 88 car behind him but what an unbelievable season they both had yeah. seven top fives for both drivers and and eight features so that's really pretty incredible and then you look at the guy who who finished second and boy what a introduction to the 350 class Josh Sokolik has had oh my gosh yeah he I mean he went from basically um you know hi I'm here to uh, I'm just about to win a race in a hurry. And, you know, I don't think that should be a big surprise because he certainly showed in the SBS class that he was capable of getting around the Oswego Speedway quickly. Um, and I, I feel like we've seen with a couple of the other drivers that have made the transition up that it's not a huge jump 
Um, it's faster and the cars are a little different, but it seems to be a natural progression for these guys. And so I think it, I think it shows you that if Josh had been there all season, um, you know, we might have a whole different situation if Josh had started the year in that car. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, to come out the first night and, and run 16, seven, which yeah. is maybe a little overshadowed because Logan Christopher also ran a 16, six that night, but <laughs> nonetheless, just, remarkable job by the Sokolik family. It's a great race car. Um, that's the former Pat Lavery double deuce that Anthony Lacerdo had raced in the 350 class with. And I think we knew it was going to be a good car. They have the right people involved and took their time before bringing it out. And yeah, just, just week three, he started with a 10th, a sixth, and now a runner up finish. And I think if he, he gets out front, I don't know that there's anybody that's going to that's gonna run him down and catch him because he's as fast as any of those guys right now. Yeah, we're kind of at that point in the 350 class where we've got enough cars to make it a great race and yet not quite enough cars to have a whole bunch of slower traffic yet. And, and that's, you know, the traffic is what obviously allows a guy in second to close in on the leader if the leader has trouble getting through traffic. And so it's it's really interesting to... To, to see how these races, the last couple especially, have sort of shaken out. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if if Josh can get out front, you know, it is going to be tough to to run him down. But uh, what it's just been an amazing, um, amazing year for the 350s, and I see it only getting better uh, as we finish this year and go into next year. Um, let's go ahead and... Let's go ahead and give the rundown for the uh, 350 finish there in the Mr. 350 race. Winner was the 88 Chase Lock taking home $2,000. Second, the 26 Josh Sokolik. Third, the 45 Brian Sobis. Fourth, the 20 Kyle Perry. Fifth, the 50 Dave Cliff. Sixth, the 75 Mike McFedda, which was kind of a surprise making his 350 Super debut. Yeah. And really quick, kind of in the middle of the rundown here, but that car has been sold by Mike Barbera to the Caprera family. And Matt Caprera will be campaigning at Oswego next weekend for his Oswego Speedway debut. Wow. That's so kind of breaking news right now. Um, seventh to 23, Jason Spaulding. Eighth to 99, John Tessorario. And it was nice to see him out with a Terry Strong tribute, of course, for the yes. dance. Uh, ninth to 97, Vern Lefebvre. Tenth to 08, Dalton Doyle. And eleventh to 22, Mike Bruce. Wow. Okay. So, um, that's a big deal for, uh, Caprera to be coming. He's young. And, um, I think, didn't he run a Muldoon car? Was he one of the ones that drove a Muldoon car up at uh, Evans Mills or somewhere at the beginning of the year? He did at Evans Mills. And then a couple of times with snack and his hot lap here to swiggle before in a Muldoon car. Okay. Shared that track rental with, with Nathan Berg, but, oh. uh, seems very talented. He's, he's done a very nice job in the starts that he had. Uh, in, in Muldoon's 350, and now obviously kind of jumping in with both feet with his own car, but he's also a very good dirt racer. He was the sportsman feature winner at Brewerton Speedway just last weekend. Oh, wow. going to try his hand on the Oswego asphalt. That is awesome. Okay, well, he'll be a great addition. The Caprera family are great people, so uh be good to have them as a part of the Speedway festivities every week. Um Okay, so let's uh switch over to the SBS division. Now, this was a division that I feel like, again, the great storyline going in was, you know, Mike Bond versus Danny Kay. And and who would get the best of that? You know, Danny kind of the current top man. Mike Bond, the top man for many years. Mike coming out of, well, I don't even want to say coming out of retirement, coming back because I don't think he ever said he was retired. Um, you know, coming back and uh, rejoining the field for the first time this year. And 
I do feel like that at least a portion of this has to be attributed to the fact he had four new tires because it was first time on the track this year. But, um, but Mike, again, that was a dominant performance. And if, if you just look at it based on, you know, result and finish and don't go any deeper than that, um, I think Mike's still the guy to beat. I think so too. Yeah, it, it, it showed and he was able to walk away from Danny on the restart there, but I also know it kind of fuels Danny's fire. Mike's actually been helping the Kapuscinski flak team out the last couple of weeks. Mike's, uh, Danny said that, Denise, yeah. Yeah, that's what he was saying in victory lane. And, and then Denise wanted to get this car back out, obviously, for her sister. And it was renumbered 99, so it was great to see a 99 yeah. win on, on Terry Strong night. And um, it's kind of pulling for Mike because of that. But I think that as we get closer to classic time, there should be some interesting, silly season news. Maybe we'll have both Mike and Russ back. And, um, I think Danny kind of thrives off that competition and he wants to be able to beat the best, to be the best. And oh, for sure. say in, in victory lane, Mike's, Mike's the goal. And it's his goal. If Mike comes back out this year to, to be able to beat him. And, and Dan certainly has the speed to do that. And I think that'll be a fun battle to watch, especially come classic weekend. Well, that's what I was thinking is, you know, we can, again, I think some of that at least has to be the difference in tires because the week, sure. you know, the week prior, Danny had four new shoes and he blew the field into the weeds. I mean, it wasn't even close. Right. So, so I think new tires matters. Right. But when we get to the classic, hopefully the tire situation is sort of more evened out for everybody. And then it just becomes who's better on the day. And so I do think there's still some question about, you know, can Danny and I think I think on the right day, certainly Danny can race with and beat Mike Bond. But it's going to be it is going to make the, the classic interesting and, and um, curious uh, that you say about Russ Brown. I mean, we saw him in. Gosh, who was it? Was it Tony Pisa's car earlier in the year? Um, yes. Yeah. Is is that are we talking about maybe him being back in that car or some other car or what's going on? Or you just don't want to tell us right now? I don't know. Tim Proud might know. Ah, okay. Well, so maybe Russ Brown in the 04 for classic. Um, 54. Or 54, sorry. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, uh, see, I went back you know, to we, Tim's original number. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah that 54. was original number. Yeah. I mean, it's really no no secret. We've, we've mentioned to Russ that we'd be interested in having him drive it, and that's just, you know, we told him we'd be in touch, but Right now, we, we're focusing on the last two weeks of the super season here. And <laughs> my dad doesn't want to take anything away from, from my program. Um, we'd, we'd like him to drive it, honestly, but he doesn't feel like he'll be able to, to do all that. So we're, we're still talking about it. We'd definitely be interested in putting Russ in the car. And um, we'll see what my dad decides to do. But we'll leave the door open there for, for Russ. And then if, if that doesn't work out, I've heard that he may have some other opportunities also, but yeah. either way, it would just be nice to, to see him in the field again. He's, he's certainly fun to watch. Well, he is. And he's again, another, he's one of the, uh, you know, the guys that, that basically helped start the division at uh, the Speedway back in the day. And so yeah. uh, he's been around about as long as anybody in that class. So would be great to see him out there mixing it up. It always makes it more interesting um, for uh, a big race like the Classic. But, um, uh, again, a good race. Um, you know, Mike kind of ran away. I mean, you know, Danny was the only one that could get close and then again, I feel like from third on back, there's a pack of about 10 or 12 cars that 
you know, on any given night, depending on where they start, how they're running, you know, that, that pack just mixes it up. You've got O'Connor in there, Shartner's in there. Um, you know, you've got a number of those guys that are, are just all right there, but I don't feel like anybody outside of Noah Ratcliffe has, has anything, had merely much of anything for Danny. And so I kind of look at this, like you got Mike and Danny and Noah. And then, um, also of course, uh, Miller has to be in that conversation too. He would be the other one. And then you've got that other pack of cars. So you got maybe four of them that that I would put as, you know, the biggest favorites. And then you got a, about, you know, 10 or 12 behind them that you never know where they're going to go from one week to the next. Right. I would agree with that. And, and really Noah's the only one come feature time that's been able to keep pace with Danny, so to speak, really throughout the whole season. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, a, lo- a lot of guys have had the same speed earlier in the night, but just come feature time, that car is, is so good. And even Dan has said it. It like drives itself, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think maybe he should take a little more credit for what he's doing, but it, it's uh, it's certainly been incredible to watch the the stretch that Dan and the Flack team have have put together. But you have guys like you, like you mentioned O'Connor and and Miller, and now Robbie Worth's getting fast. Was down into the eighties yeah. last week. Shartner, Pisa, Cameron Rose been back. You'll have Jesse Barrett back. So. I certainly think that come classic time, it's going to be really exciting just to see how that race plays out because you're going to have a lot more really good, capable cars in, in the fold that can actually compete with, with Dan for the win. And there's there's no doubt about it that a good majority of these guys can compete with him for the win. It's just a matter of getting things right. Some guys have had bad luck. Some are you know still in only their fifth or sixth race ever. So the class is in just such a unique position it right is. now. And just, yeah. Any given week, it's so exciting to watch. You really don't know what's going to happen. Well, and and the other thing I'm seeing that I like is, you know, for the most part over the last couple, three races, there hasn't been nearly the attrition that, that there was in the beginning part of the year in that class. If everybody right. just, you know, races each other with a little bit of respect and, and keeps – you know, keeps the, the cautions to a minimum. It's, it's just an interesting uh, race to watch play out. So yeah, that'll be fun. And and you're right, Danny, but Danny has never been one to take a lot of credit when it comes to his driving. He's a very humble guy, but, but you're right. You got, it takes a great driver to drive a great car and make it and get everything out of it. Um, And Danny's certainly been that guy for the last, you know, really two seasons for the most part here at the track um, or there at the track. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I think Mike Bond is the guy that comes back as the one that could could top that, um, topple him. Um, and then, as you say, you know, Noah's Noah's basically there. Griffin has been has been there a time or two. Griffin's luck's been awful. Um, if he can just um, just get, you know, get some get the luck on his side, um, you know, if he gets out front again, it's he's one that's hard to catch. Um, <clears throat> you know, you got a, a handful, but. Um, it's, uh, again, an interesting division to watch and, and just the racing this year has been outstanding. The rookie class, I think has done an amazing job and there are plenty of them. So let's go ahead and do the rundown for this. First, the 99 Mike Bond, second, the 23 Dan Kapuscinski, third, the 73 Noah Ratcliffe podium again. Yeah. Fourth, the 18 Andrew Shartner, fifth, the 90 Greg O'Connor, sixth, the 89 Tony Pisa, seventh, the 04 Robbie Worth. Nice run for him. Very. Eighth, the 24 Tony DeSevens, ninth, the double zero Jude Parker, tenth, the two Jordan Sullivan, 
Eleventh, the eighty-eight Brad Haynes. He was out for the first time this year. Yeah. Twelfth was the fourteen Brian Sobis driving Mark Denny's car. Yeah, that's interesting. And had a good run going. I think they broke a power steering line. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyway, thirteenth to thirty-seven Jesse Barrett. Fourteenth to sixty-two DJ Schumann. Fifteenth to forty-nine Josh Wallace. Sixteenth to nine Griffin Miller. Seventeenth to twenty-seven. I'll let that modified go by John Carson. <laughs> 18th to 66, Derek Hilton. 19th to 22, Ryan Gunther. 20th to 77, Cameron Rowe. And rounding out the field was the 86, Brian Haynes. Be very interesting uh, as we run through the month of August to see who can uh, pick up a little speed in time for the Classic and maybe give those three or four guys a run. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There is nothing better for Nat Sound than a race car going around a racetrack. I can't. I, I have to repeat that. Okay. Um, Super Modifieds. Now, first of all, let's just get it out of the way here. First ever 15-second lap for you. Uh, congratulations. And um, I asked do this before but for our audience you you've run in the low 16s did 59 feel any different than the low 16 it does yeah i i knew it when i was going down the back straightaway and able to run the car harder into turn three than i ever have before that we were at least going to have an o and maybe a nine i I could just tell it was going to be a really good lap you kind of have that feel so it was cool. It's it's nice to be able to go fast, but I want to also be able to go fast when the lights come out and not just for, yeah. for time trials and heat races. So we have to get our stuff together and, and work on the, the feature setup. And once once we make this car go after the first 20 laps, because it's just been sideways loose on us after that, we, I think we know what we got to do now. I hope we're, we're trying to, to talk to Doug and make the right changes and just uh, listen to the right people. And I think we'll be in much better shape tomorrow. Good. Well, uh, you got a couple races left before uh, the big weekend, so uh, still time to get it dialed in the way that you need it. Not an awful lot of races on the schedule this year to do that sort of thing um, like there have been in the past, right? So um, new car, new situation for you, so uh, growing pains are inevitable. Um, We certainly do wish you good luck tomorrow, but let's talk about um, the race that was, and, and here again, just when we... Get ready to anoint Dave Schillick Jr. as being the Dan Kapazinski of, you know, the big block super modifieds for the year. Um, you know, Jeff Abold kind of goes, well, hold my beer um, and, and goes out and um, just literally beats DJ. There was no gimme. There was no gift. There was no circumstances Jeff just flat out was the better car and, and flat out beat him to, to become Mr. Supermodified. Um, and I think he pointed out in his interview on this show that it was, uh, um, it was like three days or something from the date that Pat won it. Um, there was, there was a statistic there. I'll let, I'll let everybody hear it from him, but it was really, um, it was really kind of funny to hear that. And, uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff getting a big win, um, at a time when he most needed it. Yeah. I wonder if he was listening to the the podcast last week when we said that about Dave Schulich, because he just flat out beat him yeah. a couple <laughs> weeks I ago. Said, so. Just, just so they yeah, you know. Was, uh, a great run for Jeff and another pair that has become father, son, Mr. Supermodified winners, which I've always thought the whole generational thing in the Swiggle Speedway, we've talked about it so many times, oh, yeah. is, is so neat. And 
now the Ables have collected over thirty thousand dollars in Mr. Super Modified winnings alone. So <laughs> it's it's <laughs> that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, that was and it was a fun race to watch because you you know you, they start in the same row and you know it, it really you weren't sure um who was going to get to the front first and um you know it when pat got up front dave i mean dave ran him down thought maybe there was going to be a back and forth deal that happened but um jeff um jeff was the guy to beat once jeff got out front dave you know dave really just didn't have the car to be able to get by him he was close but you know once jeff got in front of him that was all that that was all she wrote and that was a that was a solid performance for Jeff. And, and again, this year has been kind of up and down a little bit for him. And, um, you know, they finally have got the thing dialed in again. And like I said, the momentum now feels like it's a little bit on his part going into the month of August here. Um, but we've still got a couple of races left for some other folks to, uh, to, to get a little more speed too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, Jeff and Dave, they started in the same row, seventh and eighth. Yeah. Jay was, Dave was, or excuse me, Jeff was able to get out front first and Shulik actually had a scare on the backstretch early in the race with Snyder. He was on the outside of Timmy and I don't know how he kept it out of the Oh gosh, I know. I saw that. Yeah. They banged wheels and I guess DJ said it knocked a toe out on his car. And um, so that, that didn't help him any, but I do think that, that Abel had the better car for sure. And that certainly showed. And like you said, it's had some gremlins this year. And boy, when they get that car running right back to the way it was in, in 21 and 19, he, he is as good as anybody. So yeah. uh, Abel's, Abel's really tough to beat. And um, a second, I believe, the week prior to Shulik and yep. then flip-flopped this last weekend. So he's he's on a roll right now, ended DJ's win streak at two. And uh, it was it was a pretty good race. It was fun to watch. You had a lot of guys coming through the field between Jeffrey and, and DJ and also Tyler, who had problems at the start, yes. from dead last up to third. So it was it was a pretty good race. It was a good race, uh, and again, I I feel like um, I feel like all three of those races lived up to the Mister Billing. Honestly, um, you know, they were all really fun to watch, and you know, really intense right to the end. Um, even with Mike and Danny, I mean, Mike got out front and you knew that it was probably his to lose, but you know, you just never know you're going to hit a slower car and get held up or whatever. And Danny was certainly driving his butt off. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a big win for Jeff. So, uh, give us the rundown and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. First, the 05 Jeff Abel, second, the 95 Dave Schulich, third, the 98 Tyler Thompson, fourth, the 02 Brandon Bellinger, fifth, the 01 Dan Connors. 6th to 52, Dave Danzer. 7th to 94, Logan Rivals. 8th to double zero, Joe Gozik. 9th to zero, Tim Snyder. 10th to 90, Jack Patrick. 11th to 37, Ryan Locke. 12th was myself. 13th to 68, Michael Barnes. And 14th to 99, Jerry Curran. Okay, and last but surely not least, um, got to mention uh, Jerry Curran's very nicely done uh, Terry tribute with uh, the, yes. the, the the colors on the 99 and um, Joey Payne being in the actual strong car. Um, if that didn't bring a tear to your eye, you didn't have a pulse. That was, uh, it all brought a tear to my eye and to, to think about what might be happening classic weekend now, I think is, is going to maybe burn even, even more of a tear to, especially depending on how it goes, just the, the, even the possibility of him getting back together with Pat Strawn and racing that car in the classic has me just over the moon excited for those guys. So I hope they get that deal done and are able to make it happen. 
Do we think that uh, Joey's going to be in the car, or do we think that uh, Johnny may be in the car because Joe isn't here? Or, uh, yeah, isn't Joey racing for uh, Penix? He is, yeah. Uh, I think they've talked about maybe putting Johnny in the 14 and oh. Joey in the 99 or, or vice versa, but we'll see. I would imagine that Joey's going to want to be in, in a strong car for obvious reasons, but obviously Don is his car owner and has done a lot for him over the last, geez, I think five or six years now, so yeah. it's going to probably be up to what Don's comfortable with. Certainly they want to field the 14 for the Classic, so that will probably take priority because it is Joey's car owner, but I also know, and Joey's told me, uh, how much respect Don also has for the Strons and how much Joey would, would like to do that, I'm, I'm sure is quite evident to everybody. And you can just see how much it means to all of them. So very, very emotional. It was certainly made me tear up even in the car almost when I saw him came flying out of the pits with the purple checkered flag in the cockpit. That was just yeah. a special moment and was really thinking of Terry a lot. And we could see him get back in that car and, and, and do well. And what we've seen him do in the classic before for the Strons, I, I can't imagine what a special moment that would be to see him actually compete with the car. Well, surely would be uh, a hit with the fans. I know that. And uh, we would all love to see that happen. So we'll uh, await further news on that. Um, so we go forward here. We've got uh, obviously Retro Night coming up this weekend. Um, and then... And we've got uh, the run run up to the classic. What kind of news do we have? Is there any news out there other than the breaking news you gave us earlier uh, about uh, young Matt Caprera coming to the speedway? Um, is there anything else that's hanging out there? What are we seeing as we get closer to the big one? Not really too much yet. Just kind of trying to tease everybody with the whole Joey Payne and Russ Brown thing. It's just, you know, the usual <laughs> classic chatter where, yeah. where who knows what's going to happen. I guess uh, a little bit of news is that this year we're going to reduce the classic starting field to 30. Oh, I saw that. Um, and it will now pay 1300 to take the green, but all cars from outside of New York will earn 1500 So just trying to entice more guys from ISMA and MSS to, to come here and and take the win off for, for the big shows. That was some of the hope behind this wing challenge was enticing some of those guys to also support the Oswego wing racing because we've yeah. seen some Oswego guys put the win on and, and support the wing racing. So we're just hoping to have that reciprocated a little bit for our bigger shows and, of course, the Classic. But I do think that some cars will be going home on Classic Weekend, at least you do. two or three. I do. I think, I think we'll get to over 30. That's my hope. Right now, I'm going to say that I think, it's, I think it's doable, maybe 33, 32, 33. So at least enough to possibly send a car two or three home. We'll see what happens. And, um, of course, it's the game of waiting for, for motor parts. And you have Lula Bay healing up from health issues, Bill Sharkey doing the same. So those are a couple guys that are on the fence. And we just kind of have to wait and see what happens. It will be interesting. Um, I, I will um... – I will go with your uh, optimism on that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I would love to see the list of because uh, I <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not sure in my mind. I'm not sure we get to 30 and I'm also not sure 
that um, that's cause for you know um, disaster. Uh, I think it just we the the world that we live in with um, you know we had how many blown motors in the last couple of weeks, three or four, I think, right? Um, oh yeah, Sandusky was rough on motors. Yeah, I mean, and, and you you know you gotta uh, people waiting longer for parts, things like that. I mean, I kind of look at some of that, and it's like, well, you know, if we if the car count's a little low this year, it you know, there are some extenuating circumstances that we all can't control. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is is I, I wanna see how many how many guys because I think this was a good change, honestly, reducing the field to thirty. Look at if if the division explodes, you can always increase it back up if you think that's what you need to right. do for next year or whatever, right? So I think reducing it to thirty is a good move and upping the upping the starting pay because that's in it to me you know everybody wants big money to win but only one guy wins that i believe that if you're going to build a division you have to do it from the back so the 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 less expensive that you make it out of pocket for somebody to go to the racetrack and start the race the better and so i love the idea of you know, taking the four spots worth of pay and, you know, just sort of um, increasing everybody's uh, take a little bit just to start. Cause that's, I mean, that's probably a set of tires. Um, and I don't know, maybe some fuel. I don't even know what the costs are now, but we got to be at least close with 1300 right. bucks. Right. So, you know, that's a, that's a big expense. And then, like you said, anybody from outside New York, 1500 bucks. there's a couple hundred bucks toward your fuel, which, again, probably isn't, you know, a quarter of it. But, um, but at least it helps. So I love the change. I think it's a good change. And, uh, you know, I hope we get 30 cars. Honestly, um, if there were 32 or 33, um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to think of starting them all. It, it, you know, if you get, oh, yeah. you know yeah, I mean, I if you get yep. over 34, you can't do it. But if you're going to have two or three, gosh, don't send them home, start them, you know, let's have a race, um, you know, but, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I do think that uh, either way, the race is going to be very in, intriguing. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so looking forward to all of that. Tell us, uh, tell us about the uh, schedule for this weekend's retro night. I know we got the reunion at uh, the bowling alley early, and then uh, the racing. What time do gates open and all that? Yeah, this should be a really fun weekend with the the old timers reunion and everything. It's always one of my favorite races of the year, just to see what Jim Ferlito and everybody comes up with over at Lighthouse Lanes every every retro night. It's it's really pretty a cool thing, and we have so many more restored supers that are putting being put back together or already back together now. Yeah. One of these, one of these years, I want to line up all the restored eight balls on the front stretch. I, oh. I still, am, still, am hoping for that. That would, that would just be so cool. Yeah. But, um, as far as the schedule, the old timers reunion is from ten to four. Uh, the back and front pit windows will open at two thirty. Pit gates at two thirty. Grandstands at three forty-five. Warm-ups at three forty-five. Super stocks, SBS, and supers. Heat racing will start at six. Vintage cars first, then super stocks, SBS, supers. 
Uh, to follow the first Atlantic Coast Old Timers feature, the Sunoco near Superstock feature, the second Atlantic Coast Old Timers feature, the SBS 30 lapper, and the Super Modified 45. That's, that's a lot of racing. I'm looking forward to watching on uh, Flow. I will be at a uh, different track this year, actually at Darlington, with another group of old timers that I'm doing a little work with, uh, old time stock car racers. So we should be done by the time uh, the coverage starts. So uh, we'll be watching it on the Flow one way or the other and um, hoping to be able to maybe get up, get up for uh, the classic. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, Camden, looking forward to uh, tomorrow night and appreciate, all, as always, the opportunity to have you on and kind of go through everything with you and uh, wish you all the luck in the world tomorrow and hope that you get, uh, get the feature set up, nailed down so you can get a little closer for the big one. I really hope so. I appreciate it. Thank you. And by the way, another thing that fans should watch tomorrow is Joe Bozick will be in the 1966 eight ball. For oh, the, that's right. The old timers feature. So check that out tomorrow. The 71 Swift car, the 66 eight ball, and also Steve Miller's 74 Sweet 16, as well as Kemp Dates championship car. will all be both at the old timers reunion and competing with the Atlantic coast old timers. So it's going to be a fun night and hopefully a nice clean racing action for everybody as we get a little bit closer to the classic. Yes. Oh gosh. Let's pray for that. We don't need any uh, big accidents and no more blown motors. Uh, we got to keep everybody healthy and, and uh, safe leading up to the, to the big event. And that'll be fun. Gozik's probably the only driver left in the pit area that actually raced against Jimmy. So um, somehow that, uh, so Somehow seeing him in that car would feel oddly appropriate. Yes, I think he is, <laughs> other than maybe Hal. I don't know if Hal did or not, but I think Well, yeah, Hal would him. have, too. That's right. Yeah, did he? Hal would, did he? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, Hal started, I think, around the same year Joe did. So, yeah, I think Hal would have been. Um, so, yeah, that'll be. I'm sure that'll be a good time for Joe. And, uh, gosh, Steve Miller's probably got a bunch of drivers, uh, um, former drivers of the Sweet 16 hanging out there. But my guess is he would be in that one. And, uh uh, I don't know who runs the 10 pins. That's uh, gosh, I to, to find a driver who raced. I don't think a driver exists who raced with Nolan Swift. That's still even racing. So um, I think so. No. Uh, so it would be Steve's going to drive the 10 pins, though. Oh, he is. OK, so yeah, now it'll be interesting. This, Joe in the eight ball and then Perry Adams will be in the sweet 16. Oh, OK. OK. Perry, I think, helped Steve redo it if i'm not mistaken yeah perry was a part of that project so uh that's awesome well it should be uh should be a great time uh looking forward to all the social media coverage and uh we'll uh we'll rehash it next week on episode 106 of the groove Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Tom. All right, Cam. That is Camden Proud. We'll be back. We've got Jeff Abold and Perry Abold coming up on The Groove. Stay tuned. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or Indie Performance Composites 
inc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Welcome back to the Inside Groove. This, as I said in the opening segment, is episode 105, which means, guess what? We are talking about the number 05 in the history of supermodified racing. So, you know what? It just all worked out. Uh, what better than to have one of the drivers who is writing history with the number 05 on the show right now? That's Jeff Abold, Mr. Supermodified for 20. 22 congratulations sir that was uh one heck of a ride yeah thank you that's uh that's pretty funny with the uh episode number that worked out great um yeah that was that was an amazing night um you know and then just kind of going through the stats and everything it was actually 30 years almost almost to the day uh within two days of when my dad got his first uh mr super modified title um so it was kind of cool comparing that and everything and looking at it and going through the set he had started from the same position i started at and uh lead around the same amount of point or same point and everything so really it was, just, uh, it was yeah pretty pretty neat kind of going through the history we were talking about that last night a little bit so um kind of you know added definitely uh keeping in the family like that adds uh makes it a little bit more special for us for sure see those are the kind of stats that actually mean something i'm not a big yeah. stats guy you know people say well you know kevin harvick's won four of the last six races at phoenix well great how's he running this year right that's that to me is just not but with something like that's pretty incredible honestly when you can tie uh you know you and your dad together like that so let's talk about uh i mean really this whole season for you i feel like has been a bit of an exercise in frustration until the other night it was almost like wow hallelujah i think we're back now yeah that's and that's the exact feeling i had too after i just got out of the car and it just it kind of felt like a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders I was really going back to and my last win at oswego was in 2019 we obviously had the year off um with COVID in 2020 right. um and then 2021 was just an abysmal year for us just had opportunities but um, you know, just one thing after another, things like that going on. Um, we did well with the Isma trail, but as we go and everything, it just was a, um, kind of a bummer of a year, but, um, this year we've been definitely had ups and downs when I've, when I've been able to finish, it's been really good top fives and podiums. Um, just had a couple races that slipped through between, uh, one early season engine issue and everything. Um, just stuff that I, I think we've gotten take care of now. And then, uh, uh, one slip up with a, just a part failure on the car. Um, but you know, hopefully we've kind of got everything hammered out now and everything seems to be going in the right direction and, um, certainly have some things figured out on the race car to make it go faster. So, um, I'm pretty, pretty happy with where we're sitting right now, as far as, um, finishes and obviously for the, uh, running for the championship where it's a really tight battle right now. So that's, that's going to make things interesting in our last two races. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to think about the fact that you still have a shot to win the championship. And mm -hmm. now it seems like. You know, you've got a little bit of momentum going into August, obviously, after that big win and uh, holding off uh, the guy that I think a lot of us thought, you know, maybe, you know, go out and sort of clean house this year the way he was running at the end of last year. And, you know, certainly I think Dave is probably still um, the guy to beat. But now, you know, the 05 is back in the conversation and that's pretty doggone good. Yeah, it's I it's it's something I've wanted. Um, you know, when I, I finished second to Otto a few years ago in the championship, by this point it was it was really um, you know, a ninety point stretch, something like that. We made up a lot of ground in the last weeks. I think we got it to a thirty or forty point 
um, deficit by the last race. Just, um, you know, too much there. But I, I've just been wanting my whole career to have this type of um, uh, points battle going into and being I, – I love that feeling. Some guys, I think, kind of shy away from that. They don't want the, the added pressure and stuff midgets midgets all right just i've loved that that extra um motivation and everything for it um so it's just really cool to be going into these last two races with a shot at it obviously now we're all looking up at um you know shulik's the dave shulik's the point leader now and everything and like you said he's he's carrying he's had major momentum from last year and um their team is uh uh just so good with what they're doing right now and figuring everything out he's he's in a, a you know a great driver as far as super modifieds go and everything he's so experienced um and he knows what's uh he knows what he needs to win races so it's a tough combination to beat um and uh but we're you know hopefully coming in stride ourselves right now and we're we're certainly up for the challenge and then you know you'd slide in brandon bellinger who's also a very experienced driver is um sandwich right in between right now and then you got some other guys that are close in tail so it's it's going to be a tight battle right to the end yeah i mentioned brandon last week and i feel like brandon is brandon's kind of just been as much as okay he went out and won uh the port city and he's certainly been in the conversation he's got a couple wins but he it's like yet you you he just sort of slips under the radar it's like at the end of the race, you're looking and it's like, he's third again. He's second again. He's, you know, he just, he, it, he's not one of these drivers that's going to go out and be super flashy or kind of make you focus on him. But man, he has been as consistent as heck this year. And I think, you know, he's probably been the most consistent Dave, obviously I think we thought would be had some bad luck early. And now, you know, right. he's come on and you kind of went through that same thing, but you know, really when you look at the field, um, you know, the three of you guys, I think are the, the big, you know, the contenders at this point. And, and then you've got guys that you're just waiting. Danny Connors has been close. You know, you got guys that you just feel like should be up there, um, you know, running for wins and, and winning races that aren't, it is, it's a smaller field this year, but boy, has it been competitive? It is. And that's the, every car that's out there right now has, has a legitimate shot for good finishes. And I think most everybody has had. Um, you know, some top five, some guys are, are into new cars, things like that, just getting things figured out. Yeah. Um, but everybody's faster now, even you get into lap traffic and even as it was, um, last night, you're getting into that, but it, it, everybody is, is so fast and it's, it's, uh, it's making for some really good racing. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, even through that, just, just passing up through the field, lap traffic, um, everything there, it's just, um, last night, especially even with a smaller field but the whole race was just action packed and a, a green to checkered race, which is for a 75 lapper is, is pretty rare and, and pretty awesome. It's a testament to the um, talent that's out there on the track right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just ultra competitive right now through there. And that's, that's also why the, the points battle and championship is, is, is so tight right now. So, um, but it's also a lot of fun uh, battling with everybody right now. Yeah, it really is. And you mentioned the lap traffic and it was wow. I mean, it there were some guys last night that just like, you know, we're not moving out of the way. And, you know, part of me, the part of me that wants to sort of, you know, that, that wants competition to be fair says, OK, you got the passing flag, move it, you know. And and then the other part of me goes, but the lap traffic is what makes this so exciting. And I feel like that's what you kind of miss 
when you, you know you only have 15 or 16 cars you don't have as much lap traffic so you know somebody gets way out front it's just hard to catch them without a caution last night i feel like the lap traffic was was a was a key player in you know making the racing way more exciting um because some of them were holding you guys up a little bit and it really i was on the edge of my seat watching on flow it's like oh my gosh is there going to be a wreck here or what oh i know it's wheel to wheel the whole time and and oswego does use a passing flag but they've always maintained with it if um if those guys and girls are racing for position they have just as much right out there to race position as anybody else and um they allowed it so it goes on which is you know uh, a lot of other series and everything are very adamant about getting guys moved over and everything like that but um super modifieds it's a pretty you know uh, pretty unique situation with it is mo uh, they don't use a passing flag typically so kind of the same thing so um everybody's out there racing and and like you said it it really closed up the field i think if it wasn't for the lap cars i mean everybody does get strung out and um it makes for a pretty um, you know, can be a pretty boring race that way and everything. But, uh, you know, there was one point shooting, uh, Dave and I hit, um, four lap cars at one time oh, right yeah. there, and we're just dicing through doing it. And it, trust me, it's, it's as nerve wracking and exciting on the track <laughs> as it is, uh, for the, you know, the fans that are watching and everything, but going back and reviewing and kind of watching and everything, everybody was very clean and, you know, a pretty good race there. There's a, there's a couple instances. I have, I got a couple scuff marks on tires and things, but that's, you know, that's, that's how we race out there. That's just what happens. So. Um, but definitely made for an exciting race. That's for sure. For you, when you caught that big pack of cars, uh, it's kind of like, Hey, my quarter midget experience coming into play here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's all the experience, everything midgets right up through. It's yeah. just, um, and, and especially when Dave was showing me a wheel a couple of times, he got right to the inside of me once right to the outside of me. And I knew at that point, I, I almost, I was talking to my dad about it after and a few other people. And I said, I think that it, it was actually best that way that he did show me will did that. I just, then I knew, okay, he's, he's breathing down my neck. He's right here. You have to go. You have to make these moves. There's no, um, there's no, um, moment to, to lose here. Uh, and, and you have to be decisive on it. So sometimes when you're just out front, you don't know how much of a lead you have. You can try to be a little more patient thing, but I, there was no time for patience. So, um, I think it actually helped me and just made me be more decisive and make those moves and everything. So, all in all, it, you know, obviously got me to the win. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like I said, I think uh, momentum going into the month of August when it's so critical to have it, um, it's almost, uh, you know, there's uh, there's got to be at least a small part of you that goes, man, this week off was really ill-timed because I just want to race. I want to go back out and win another one because it's, it's kind of in my favor. Now everybody gets a chance to cool off and reset. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's kind of twofold for, and we're obviously we're going to be going to Sandusky this week, so we've got a busy week ahead Good. of us, just changing everything over, doing that, and then we have to turn it right back around again and and get ready for the next race at Oswego. Um, so this was a pretty tough, uh, grueling four week stretch for us here, just you know concerts, but all season long up to this point, we've had at least one week off in between each race, so um, it was kind of nice to get into a rhythm, and I think it's it benefits a team like us where we kind of like I said we feed off that and. Um, you know, just the, the amount of work we're putting in the shop and, you know, what my, what my dad's doing, just, just grinding on everything for us and, and doing that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it's a good way to keep building momentum and do this. And we can even use Sandusky heading there. Obviously sure. this is a huge momentum building for, and just, uh, uh, gives us so much motivation heading in there. And if we can go out and have a good run there, it just keeps building on that for the next race and for the rest of the season. So, um, I would, this, this four week stretch, I was actually really looking forward to all season. So that race, um, 
just uh, it, it it just seemed like that particular race, the high miler, was just a race that you know close, close, close. Um, you know, you you are one of the few now that um, will do the wing shows with the same car that you run at a Swigo, um, which I absolutely love. That you are sort of defying logic. It seems uh, modern day logic by doing that. What is what is the process for you guys? to you know change it over to to go to a top wing setup um and how much different is that process with this aero style downforce type car versus you know what what drivers used to do uh back in you know the 90s and and before when you kind of all had the uh, the older style supers is there really any difference in the process and in the difficulty of being able to go from top wing to tail wing yeah, for for my car now, and then the the style wing that we run now, it's really not a a, a very difficult process for. We're just removal of our tail wing, which we've we've kind of set that up when we first built um, this new style wing and everything. Just just make it a quick removal and replacement. Um, put our roof wing on. We have some just uh, setup changes that we go through, some springs and shock changes, things like that. Um, so it's really nothing too dramatic. It's something that within a night we're we're switched over, ready to go, and then just you know we've got a lot of work of maintenance and everything, getting ready for the the doubleheader weekend, but, um, and as far as the Kyle, the cars driving everything they're you know, for all intents and purposes, we're a, a wing car at a Swigo now and everything with our, our stock set up there. So as far as how the cars drive and stuff, there's, there's definitely differences with it, but, um, you're much closer than you used to be in the nineties to a wing car than you were then where you had the shovel nose and body and everything. And, um, I can remember my father on, you know, certain race weekends, they'd be racing, uh, Friday night Isma to Saturday Oswego to Sunday back to Isma and you'd be doing a switch over um, a couple times in the weekend and tire changes and uh, the the amount of body work and sheet metal you had to take off the car and switch yourself. They had a lot of work ahead of them for that point and and really now it's it's um you know it's some work to it but it's really not that dramatic. Interesting. Okay, so planning to run Sandusky and then of course we've got. Um the rest of the Oswego season and the classic, uh, what, uh, what about other, um, Isma shows that you may be, uh, running in before the year ends? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll finish out the Oswego season. Um, I don't know as far as the Isma Oswego race, um, the last, the final one of the, yeah. uh, um, super challenge that's, um, being presented there. I'm not sure if we'll be making it for that one or if we'll take the week off and just kind of regroup for the, the last race of the season at Oswego. We'll kind of have to see how the next two weeks yeah, uh, go here. Yeah, we're in the championship uh, chase, too. Definitely the, the Star Classic will uh, we'll run at the end of the season. Um, and we'll kind of look at the schedule from there. Usually we kind of run that as our, our finale for the season for us. There's sometimes a few other races, but I, I think that might be, uh, that might be it for us. Okay. So, um, talk about, uh, tires this year. I know everybody, it seems like everybody in short track racing to one degree or another is fighting the tire situation. What is your, um, take on it and how has it been for you? As, as far as Oswego goes so far with what we've run and everything, um, they've, they've done a great job at the facility. Mike Silman obviously is, um, not technically, uh, you know, working on a week to week basis for the, the speedway now doing tires and everybody, he's still, um, helping everybody out there and, and, uh, uh, monitoring the ordering and everything like that and doing that. And they've done a great job with that for what we need so far. We haven't had, um, you know, too much of a shortage issue or anything, pretty much all of supers have had some issues. Um, it does sound like there's the possibility we have to be very careful with that. We haven't been able to get practice tires and things like that. Like we have in years past, um, 
but Hoosiers working, you know, very closely with management for their, um, for ISMA, for um, uh, the Midwest series as well and everything. So they're, uh, they're trying their best right now to get everything built and get on a schedule with it. So um, I think so far we're going to be okay. I know there's possibility of some shortages on some front tires possibly, but same thing if we all just kind of, um, you know, stick to our plans and, and limit everything, it's just going to help all the series together. So um, as much as it's everybody would want to get extra tires and do this and be at their A game with it, I think we all kind of have to realize what's important and that's getting all these races in for the rest of the season. And then, you know, hopefully giving Hoosier some time to, to recuperate a little bit here in the next, you know, coming months and before the next race season and uh, hopefully we can get back to normal things in the next years it it's easy for those of us watching from uh the grandstand or um in my case most of the year my couch uh to to say that i think the racing is benefited honestly in some sort of way from all of this because i feel like the racing has been way better this year than it was last year in a lot of ways. Um, and maybe it's because, you know, not everybody's been able to get the exact tires they want or do all the practicing that they want. Or, you know, um, I always feel like it, the re- the best drivers come out when the cars aren't perfectly stuck to the racetrack, right? Yeah, that that's for sure. And I think um, that's one thing that's um, I've talked about with multiple people and, super modifieds in general it's been a great thing that we can get out and practice used to be you know 30 30 years ago 20 years ago um there weren't fast fridays there weren't things like that you had to rent the racetrack and very few people got out to practice before a race day so right now with fast fridays and with other tracks holding practices and everything you can get out and practice pretty much as much as you want um and twofold on that you get everybody is just going so fast and getting their cars so dialed in with that um, that, uh, you know, that can sometimes the racing can suffer from that. And also it gets the track, um, you know, a, a single lane track, everything rubber down because everybody in practice is kind of running that same line. So I think this year with a little bit limited practice and certainly the limited availability of extra tires and everything, um, it does kind of do where everybody's kind of just showing up and you, you got to figure it out on that race night. And that's, you know, certainly something dirt racing, they don't have that benefit of having all that practice. And I right. think that's something they just kind of strap in and go. And I, I think that's a lot of times why the racing is, um, you know, you get a lot of different winners and different things going on. But then, like you said, you get a lot of the, the cream kind of rises to the top of the same drivers and stuff who, who uh, really get it figured out and can do that on a race night. So I think we've kind of worked our way towards that. So um, yeah, it's stuff. I think it's something to kind of, um, keep in mind for the future and everything for that. If you think the racing starts getting stale a little bit, sometimes that's a, that's a thing is just kind of limiting that a little bit. Well, that's, yeah. I mean that, you know, figure out a way to do it with two new tires a week or whatever. That's, you know, you gotta, um, I feel like it should be about the racing and, and I love seeing, you know, the, the, you guys out there kind of sliding around a little because, um, that's when to me, the racing is the best. And, you know, I, uh, so what do you think as far as the classic goes tire wise, what, what would you envision for 200 laps with a situation we've got? Yeah, right now. I mean, the, the classic last year, the spring classic, I actually was able to sit on the pole for that, that classic, we decided early on that we, they were, we definitely had tire, shortage issues everything so we decided typically we'll some teams will get a set of practice tires a set of tires for time trial then they're gonna have a set for the race so you're up to 11 tires 12 tires so we decided last year we're just gonna do one set yeah no practice set anything there and i was able to go sit on the pole with that then i ran those same tires in the classic and 
I think was on my way to a pretty, pretty good run until um, just some, some part failure and everything there, right. but um, it can be done. Um, especially if everybody's on the same. So I've, I've kind of felt that we could probably get away with um, doing that with whatever tires you qualify on. You have to start the feature on, which I is, agree. that has not been the rule, but um, I think that would find it would kind of um, limit the other, you know, everybody from just outspending everybody else and doing that. Um, the other divisions have done it where they've gone to a strict tire um, limit. And uh, I think they've, uh, there was, you know, I think a little bit of complaining when it first started, but I think everybody's pretty thankful now. It kind of saves you from yourself from having to make that decision of buying an extra <laughs> set of tires or uh, doing something there. So um, technically with us, we haven't put a tire limit on anything, but with the shortages that we've sort of been on a strict limit with there, where we're only allowed one practice set to start the year. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of made it that way for us. And I, like you said, I think the racing has benefited. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, you know, you said something that made me chuckle because I, I talk about it all the time. You know, drivers are the first ones to complain about the costs of racing, but then they're <laughs> the same ones that will go out and buy a set of tires for practice, another new set just to run, you know, four laps of timing, and then, you know, another set for, for, the, for the race. It's like, you know, um, so at some point, as you say, somebody's got to save the teams from themselves because they're notorious overspenders. That's, <laughs> you know, Oh yeah, no doubt. It's, and uh, that's, we get, we all get so locked in on watching that, um, that clock and time trialing and obviously track records and everything are, are awesome. And it is such a cool feeling, sure. stuff, but ultimately they're there to, to win those races and, and have a good race. So, um, sometimes I think we get a little too overboard on go, you know, fast, fast, fast. And, um, you know, more worrying about feature pace and everything like that. Yep. I agree. I think it's a better fan show when uh, the cars aren't perfect. And, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, and when we, you know, have the lap traffic like we had the other night uh, too, because that, that really makes it interesting to see who can navigate the best. And, um, you know, I felt like once you were able um, to, to get to, to second, then you, you were able to get through the lap you know, that one, I, I forget who it was, but somebody was in front of you and um, you were able to get by him pretty quick. And then it gave you a little bit of distance for a couple laps that might ultimately have, um, you know, have been the, the the winning advantage because Dave just could never quite get there. He got got a wheel under you a couple times, but it just seemed like you were just a little bit better than he was. And that's pretty remarkable. I also did notice by the way, that the, uh, the retired tire guy was um, writing down tire data for you at, after the race last night, you can't keep Silliman away from the track, no matter what you do. No, that's for sure. He's, uh, <laughs> he's always going to be around. And that, that was something he committed to helping us this year. Um, and really want to jump on and he's, he's an extremely valuable asset with a, such oh, a hard sure worker. Um, and he brings so much experience to the table and everything for us. Absolutely. And he's just a, a great friend to us. So it's so nice to have him in the pits with us. And, um, he's, he's definitely been a great help this year. He's a great friend to everybody. Uh, Mike Sullivan is. And so, uh, you know that, yeah, that was funny. I said, well, the, the, the tire guy found a different way to, uh, come back to the racetrack. And I think, uh, probably most of us, when, uh, he announced that he was retiring from the, uh, tire thing, um, 
I think we all kind of assumed that he'd be back in the 05 pit. So there he is. Uh, so that was, yes. I'm sure that was, uh, was cool for all you guys to get that win. And, um, you know, certainly you've, you know, you've got a, a good launch pad now to go into the month before classic with and go into the Sandusky high miler event. Um, what, what do you think it'll take to get the win at Sandusky? It's, it's going to be tough this year. Um, I mean, it's tough every year, but just looking at it, um, I haven't, this will be my first as Marisa of the season. And you have some stout competition out there. Yeah. Um, Mike Yordway, who's just kind of lighting the world on fire and his oh my track gosh. records and just so fast. And um, Trent Stevens, who's leading the points right now is um, he's been very consistent and fast everywhere. And he's just a, having a great race pace. Um, Kyle Edwards has been up there. Otto, obviously, um, coming off his championship last year and just um, such a stout field. And now you've got Dave Schulich, who just tested his, his Macar with the Osetic Racing team last week or this this past Friday and had a really good night of practice. So you can add his uh, his name into it, and he's so experienced at that track. Yeah. So um, it's it's going to be tough. Um, I, we just, we're going to have to be on our A game, and if I can have the car that I had last year and hopefully and then some, I think we'll have a chance at it. Um, I like these long distance races. I, I can, I can typically try to have a good strategy for that. Um, and then just hopefully things can hopefully go our way this year and the weather, weather stays out of the factors it was last year. And, um, we can have a complete race would be the best. Yeah, that thing. would be good. Uh, that would definitely help. Um, I, you, you know, you talked about Ordway, um, you know, Schulich and, and Mikey Barnes have been playing ping pong with the uh, tailwing track record. And then Ordway goes out and says, hold my beer and shoots a second faster. Um, and somebody texted me the other day and said, what kind of times do you think those cars would turn if they repaved the entire racetrack? So I'm going to throw that out to you because as a driver, you'd, you'd have a better sense for that than me. But I... I could see everything being close to a second faster a lap. What, as far as the records for both sides, what would you say? Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, uh, you see some of these other tracks when they've repaved them, Jennerstown. Um, some of these other ones where just the the speeds are just ungodly when they get to that point. Um, you know, Oswego. I think eventually you get to a point where what you have for arrow and everything it. it um, even depending on the track conditions or the track surface, yeah, you're just going to reach a speed that's kind of it's uh, the apex speed, and that's it. But I think there's definitely there would be some more to gain there. Uh, I personally feel the racing probably wouldn't be that great for a while at See, least. See, I um, agree. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just maybe maybe too quick for that point, and then um, cars are just so locked down. We're already, you know, so locked down as it is. But. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, I can't even imagine what that it would be. That'd be quite the rush going around that track right now with a, a repaved surface. I, I yeah. mean, if you figure if you figure even a half a second faster on, on both sides, that would mean about 15 flat roughly in a in a tail setup and um and 14 flat with a top wing. I mean, I can't. There's a point where I just start to get scared, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you know well it was amazing when they first broke in with isma into the 14 second break and we first broke into the 15 second yeah. break and you kind of sitting there going man it's just that's going to be a, a once every 10 years somebody just went that and all of a sudden we're routinely every week at those yeah. speeds now and it's just you know at some point you got to wonder where where the line is and where it is and you know are we there now and who knows it just it's it's hard to imagine where it can get to or where it has gotten to so yeah it's crazy um, yeah 
super fast right now. Really crazy. What do you think of the uh, 350 class? Oh, that's it's been so fun to watch. They've um, even that the SBS class, everything that's right now. It's you know they're they're yeah. they're coming over the radio saying you know you got to every supers you got to get in your cars you got to go and everybody wants to get out there and just watch these features right now. They're just putting <laughs> yeah, on such a show. Yeah, we don't want to get in yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you've got such you got such a good mix in that 350 class of really young talent um, and some veteran drivers. Um, and it's really putting on some great racing. Chase Lock right now is just putting oh, on a show to Swigo and Kids um, incredible. It's exciting every week when you get the Jeffrey Battles and the Whitcombs of the world yeah. that are coming out and racing. And um, it's just so cool right now to watch that. And it's it's uh, it's exciting every week. It's just you have three divisions up there right now um, that are just putting on a show and doing that. So it's it's just kind of must-see racing right now to, to be there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's been an amazing season, and it does, it does go to show that – um, you know, quantity or quality can trump quantity, at least to a point. I mean, we all wish there were 30 cars in every class, but, um, you know, I, I feel like even with the car counts being where they are, the quality of the racing has been spectacular. And, you know, just when you think, you know, uh, you know, like Schillick blew everybody into the weeds, uh, you know, last week. And then the other night, you know, here comes Jeff right back with the 05 and, uh, you know, gets a big Mr. Super win and holds off Schillick to do it. So it wasn't as if, you know, Dave had an issue or dropped out. I mean, you know, you started together and you got to the front and held him off in one. So, it's and and you see a guy like Danny Connors, um, you know you got Camden running better now with a fifty four. Just uh, seems like some little you know mechanical gremlins or whatever. But um, you know you got all these guys. Jack Patrick's faster uh, running up front. It's great to see the and and like I said, you're racing. You're not. It's not just follow the leader. You guys are passing in both lanes. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's inside, outside, it's everything. And, and you're looking up at the lineup order he races and you know, they're always for years. I can remember through midgets and quarter midgets and everything. You'd look up and say, okay, I can pass this one. This is how the first lap's going to go with this right. one. And, and right now it's, it's not just, wow, I'm going to have to make this move. And this, this, oh man, he's, you know, Camden the other night runs his fast. Oh my by gosh. Far and th- there's nobody out there right now. That's just, oh, that's, this is an easy one. That's it's there. No. There's no easy one. So um, and you just have to be sharp and on your A game. And that's, that's what made the race the other night so much sweeter. We've had so much attrition this year with race cars and lost some, and, you know, so many people are putting so much work in and just, uh, you know, Rex Allison, you know, wrecking the other night she's, she's a top oh, competitor. And, yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a vicious ride. Oof. Um, I talked to her after she seems to be doing, doing okay. I'm sure she's a little sore today, everything, I but, bet she is. um, it's just a shame losing, um, you know, cars like that heading into a feature. And it seems like every week we've had a couple that have something in any other practice or a heat race. But when you got somebody like Dave Schulich, that's breathing right down your neck, the whole race and uh, passing, you know, veterans like Daniel Connors, things like that for the win. It's just, it makes it that much better that they're still in the field. And it wasn't because of a breakdown or something. No. You, you had to go race these guys and, yeah. and make it happen. So it's, uh, it makes it so much better that way. Well, I know you can't do it all by yourself, man. So uh, floor is yours. Yeah. Um, I'd like to thank a, a few sponsors that help us uh, magic wand construction um, skips fish fry and, uh, John Cathcart who helped us out with some, some tires this year and everything there. So that was some great, uh, great help from him. Really appreciate that. Um, AMP auto parts and, uh, Barzi auto body who does all the paint work on the car and Bob Barzi, who's been a crew member with ours now and he's helping. Um, and then just everybody on the crew that's, that's coming out during the week and helping us and, uh, race night and everything like that. Um, and certainly, um, uh, Mike Selman, 
and uh, my father, uh, my grandfather, and everybody that's working so hard. But um, especially my father with what he does, he's just he he works so hard and grinds so hard on this um, just to make it so we're successful. But especially I, I think so I'm successful, and uh, so he can you know hang his hat on that and, and know that he's he's helped me along the way and everything. So I have to thank him for without him there's there's none of this. So um, you know just have to do that. And obviously thank my mother, my wife, and um, you know everybody along the way that's helped me. See, that's you. I'm glad you did that. Nobody ever thanks the women. It's unbelievable. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, so, uh, now I heard that, um, you're, you've taken a much more kind of active role in the running of AMP from day to day. Is that true? Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's certainly been some changes as the, um, uh, the other part of the family business with, um, AMP auto parts, there's some changeover and things there. So, my father is, is somewhat uh, semi-retired from that part. He was mostly helping out that business. So Mike Selman and I have been running the, the Oswego store, um, okay. which has been my, my parents' store, um, doing that. But we've pretty much been you know on our own with our, our uh, couple techs that we have there and some great guys that we work with. So um, nothing really changes for us as far as that front of it and everything. We'll probably see my dad a little bit more at the store than we, we have in the past, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> so, uh but uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of our uh, our future there. Well, fun stuff, man. It's always great to uh, sit and chat with you for a while, and uh, great to see you get the O five back in Victor Lane again. Uh, you guys just, um, I mean, to to do this all yourself and to be able to go and and do the um, the two wing tango with with the same car to me is uh, is a really cool thing, and I think it shows that it can be done if someone just wants to do it. And uh, you know, wish you all the luck in the world and safe travels to uh, Ohio this weekend, and look forward. To to seeing what you can do the rest of the year and chasing the championship. Yeah, thank you so much. It's just, it, like I said, it's a huge weight lifted off our shoulders, and it just feels so good. To, to, it makes it all worthwhile. You're sitting there halfway through a season wondering, why, what are we doing here, doing this stuff yeah. and everything. It just isn't. And then all of a sudden you get one, and it just it totally, it, it's redemption <laughs> yeah, for everything. Yeah, that's your it answer, just, right? It makes it work. So, <laughs> this is what um, we're I doing appreciate uh, catching up with you, and, and, uh, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That's Jeffrey Abel, and uh, we're going to – uh, step aside and be back with more of the groove right after this. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math and science person. No problem and no excuses because it's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove. As we continue with episode 105, we are going to bring in our special guest for this show of course we just talked to jeff abold and we thought man what what a great time this would be for an abold family edition so we have now our second father-son show uh in our collection that we're making tonight pat abold is with us and uh pat i really appreciate you taking some time to come on and uh chat with us here on the groove it has been a long time since you and i did radio together and um really happy to be doing this again uh i i want to i guess we'll start uh where we are which is uh you just um, became the father of a Mr. Supermodified race winner. That has to be pretty special considering you 
I think, are you guys the first father and son team to both win that? No, I think um, uh, Ray and Cody Graham did it. Oh, okay, okay, right, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. So we would be the second. Still, that's uh, that's quite an honor, and you know, I I I wonder sometimes because I know that you're um you know you're you're so involved in in the maintenance of the car and everything. Um, do you ever get a do you ever get a moment to just sort of take a step back and say, "Wow, the kid's done really really well." Yeah, he has. Um, it's been really fun. You know, it started out with my father um, and me, of course, years right. ago. Yeah. And then my father, myself, and Jeffrey were involved, and then my father and David were involved. And so it's been kind of a family thing. And Jeffrey and I decided back in, I don't know, 2012 or 13 to build a new car. And we decided we wanted to build our own car. And, you know, we struggled with it at first, but, but then it's, uh, it's had some pretty good success. So the, the car's got quite a pedigree going now. Yeah, it really does. I was talking to Jeff about the uh, the fact that it is really unique to see uh, you guys doing both the tail wing and the top wing with the same car. That's not something that everybody does, and I think you've done it uh, as well or better than anybody else. Uh, and, you know, he kind of said, you know what, it's really not that much of a difference anymore. What What is it like from your perspective? Well, I, th- I think it is, um, you know, the ISMA guys um, have got a lot of experience with, with the newer style wings now, the three element wings, and, you know, probably the majority of the field has gone over to mounting the wings solid to the chassis and not through the rear axle anymore. Okay. Uh, you know, that was an advancement. And so if you get that stuff ironed out and that stuff figured out, um, you can you can balance. You've got to have a good car. And sure. I've always maintained... Um, if you can get going good at a Swigo, you can put a wing on and go good just about anywhere. And, you know, that was true all the way back when I was running. I mean, we run somehow at the Swigo in Isma all the time. And, um, you know, there's some subtle changes you have to make. There's some spring changes you have to make to carry the extra load. And, um, you know, there's some other, other things that we do with a car. But um, you, can, you can take a good car and put an Isma wing on it and be competitive you can't take an ill handling car at a Swigo and put a wing on it and go be competitive. It's just not going to work. So I, I guess that's the way to explain it. So the wing doesn't really crutch for an ill handling car. It just makes a good handling car better, uh, basically, is what you're saying? It'll make an ill handling car feel better, but it's still going to be at the back of the pack in Isma. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you've got to have a balanced car, and, and um, then you've got to balance the, the aero package on the balanced car to, to get it to work. I got you. Okay. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's go all the way back here. Uh, and I want to, want to start with kind of how you got into racing because, um, I, I know that, you know, your dad was, I think was into it before you. And, um, and then I believe if I'm not mistaken, you, didn't you start with snowmobiles? Yeah. Um, so he, he ran cars. He, he never drove. He had a, uh, oh, okay. partner, his partner in business, John Palicki, that's the P and A and P drove for him back in the late fifties. And they, they did some dirt racing at Waterloo and, and uh, tracks around and they, and then they run um, Oswego Saturday nights in the B class. Gotcha. And then, um, you know, when he got married and, and started having us kids, um, he decided it was too much and he had several businesses going. So he got out of racing for a while. And then in the early seventies, um, he started racing snowmobiles, 
Uh, again, he didn't drive. He had people uh, drive for him. I got you. And did really well and, and then ended up with a full-blown factory sponsorship from Articat for about 12 years. And oh, that's wow. how I got started in the, I guess, my first snowmobile race was somewhere around 1975. And then, you know, we ran uh, professionally for, you know, eight years all over the Northeast and, and Midwest into Canada. And, um, and then Articat filed Chapter 11 in 82 or 83, and we lost our sponsorship. And um, I didn't race for a year or two. Um, I did run a few snowmobile races for different people. Um, and then I ran some street stock stuff at Brewerton and Fulton Speedway, oh. some Enduros, and um, got kind of bored with that and was up at Oswego. <laughs> of course, we went to Oswego every summer, a couple times a summer. And I was always intrigued by the Super Modifieds. And I was sitting in the stands um, early in 89. And uh, I said to my wife, she was with me, I said, I want to do this. And she goes, yeah, you're nuts. And a couple <laughs> days later, I owned a car from I bought from Jeff West. So we were we were out for the last five or six races of 89. Okay, it was 89. I was trying to think it was 89 or 90 that you started. But I want to go back to the snowmobile thing. What was it like, first of all, to... Um, to to be a professional snowmobile racer because I'm really not all that familiar with how the, those those things even work. Um, and and to travel all over like that, I mean, that's a heck of a commitment. What what you know? Take me kind of through that, how that all worked, and what it was like to to do it at such a high level. Yeah. Um, well, like like I said, we were factory sponsored, and our responsibility was all the states east of the Mississippi. Oh, wow. So all the New England states. Um, back then, they had a, a sanctioning body called USSA, the United States Snowmobile Association, and it was broke up in three regions. Okay. And we were we were responsible for the, for the eastern region. So, you know, my father um, uh, built sleds for Articat, and um, oh, wow. they covered, I think, about five different classes, and, um, you know, then we would uh, meet up with the factory teams once or twice a year at the World Series, and he would win. I mean, the, his sleds won everywhere. And um, wow. in 1978, they won three world championships uh, in West Yellowstone, Montana, and Articat Factory didn't win any. So, you know, he got this big letter from Articat saying, thanks for having our back this weekend. And, you know, he was really, really good with two cycle engines and clutching. Wow. Um, nobody better. And and so, you know, we just had an advantage all over, but it was big time racing. I mean, you had, you know, the, the Japanese people from Suzuki because, you know, we ran Suzuki motors in our sleds. Okay. Um, NGK spark plugs. I mean, it was every factory. Um, it was a it was a really big deal. And, you know, I, when I started Super Modified Racing, it was much more friendly. Uh, we weren't used to that. It was with snowmobiles. It was really cutthroat, competitive, nobody got near your stuff you didn't you didn't you know <laughs> lend any information to anybody you kept everything a secret wow. i mean it was it was serious business and and we had to answer to Articat every monday morning they they wanted to know how we did on the weekend and you know they didn't want to hear any excuses they wanted they wanted <laughs> wins that's incredible wow i had no idea that it was like that huge um so you you say coming to super modified racing everybody was really friendly it's kind of funny because i feel like um you know my observation over the years in racing has been everybody's really friendly until you start beating them and then sometimes they get a little less so <laughs> but uh... yeah well, well when we came into it we treated it like it was snowmobile racing and you know we were you know we were 
doing our thing and not sharing anything. And of course, nobody wanted to know anything that we were doing anyway, right. because we were the <laughs> new kids on the block. Right. And, um, and, and we started winning fairly quickly. I, I won a race in 1990 yeah. first year. And, um, I won a race or two in 91 and then 92, we, we won a ton. And, um, I think there was some resentment, you know, <laughs> I, I could sense it and I'm the type that goes to the track and I don't talk to anybody. When I go to the track, you know, I'm just there to, to try to win yeah. at all costs. And I, I just don't talk to anybody and we'd, we'd get done racing, load up and, and go home and, you know, it's just the way we were. Uh, wasn't wasn't that we were trying to be snobby or mean or anything like that. It's just we're we're so competitive and we just, you know, we that's the way we were. That's uh that's amazing. What was do you remember what it felt like? What what you were thinking when you first took your first laps in a super? Because that I mean I I I know this sounds like a really silly question, but I mean, does anything that you do in snowmobile racing other than your mental approach to it, is there anything that can carry over to that? Well, once you learn how to win, um, you you know, the first time you're leading a race, all you're worried about is who's going to pass you all the time. And once you start to win some races, yeah. then, then you've, you've, you get over that. And it doesn't matter what the venue is. So, you know, when we got into Super Modified Racing, basically the same team that Snowmobile raced with us for years came right over with the Super Modified. So the team was established. We all knew how to race. We knew how to win. We just had to learn a different venue. And for me, um, I think it was the second or third race in, maybe the second race in, um, Doug Hebron blew a tire going into one, and I was right behind him. And I had my left front tire lined right up with his right rear going into one, and it launched me. And there's a picture of the car. The tail section's higher than the billboards. Oh, wow. It turns one and two. And I landed coming out of two, and there wasn't a wheel on the car. It tore the axles out of the car and everything. And I thought to myself, man, if this was a snowmobile, I would have been dead right now. <laughs> you know, I unbuckled, get out, and I said, this this is safe racing. And I was good after that. That's kind of interesting, too. And so that's a different sort of pers- perspective. I don't remember the, the, the crash, uh, but yeah. that's a different perspective because – you know, again, you've been on a snowmobile. It's kind of like, I guess, if you're a go-kart racer, it's the same sort of thing. Um, you know, you get into a super and you've got the cage and the belts and all of that around right. you. And, and you you almost, you know, I don't want to say invincible. I don't know if any racer ever feels invincible, but it no. certainly feels more comfortable, right? No, but when you're running uh, Peterborough, Ontario at a at, uh, you know, horse track at 10 o'clock at night, 10 below zero, and, and it's an ice, you know, racing <laughs> yeah. surface like a hockey rink. Uh, it's an oval track, five eighths of a mile, and you're 110 miles an hour at the end of the straightaways oh, on a wow. snowmobile. Uh, and it's the same outside walls that there is at any racetrack. So when you fall off, your body's what hits the wall. Ooh. So it's it it is a big difference. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And and you know, I think like you said, at that point, you're kind of like, okay, I think I can I can deal with this. Um, and you picked it up so quickly, like you said, winning in 1990, you, you got one in 91. But once you hit 92, it was like you had you were Mr. Outside, you were one of the first ones uh, that I saw. Um, I mean, at least as a consistent tactic that uh, would go to the top of the racetrack and just blow by everybody. I mean, and it's kind of so like... I'll share, I'll share my thoughts on that. Um, we spent the winter in, in, um, prior to 92 um, designing a new body for the car, and we go opened up the rules and allowed nose wings on the cars. And we took advantage of the rule. And um, we studied Arrow and, and built a fiberglass uh, nose cone and 
and put the wings on the front of the car. Well, it, it, it just pinned the front of the car. So it would turn really good. So I got thinking, uh, you know, if I, if I'm starting in the back here, I've got about two laps before everybody gets up to speed here. This thing turns really good. I'm going to go to the outside. I don't care if it's four wide and, you know, you're running 18 and a half seconds for the first couple laps before everybody gets up to speed. And, you know, I could, the, the, the fastest I did it, I went from eight, 18th to the lead in five laps one night. <laughs> and, uh, I just got a, a, a knack for it out there and, um, the car would just stick out there and we got away with it for about a year and part of the way into 93 and then Hoosier changed the left rear tire and, and I lost the magic of the car. Ah. And, and, you know, we, we struggled to get it back. We, we still won eight races, I think in 93, but it wasn't the same car it was the year before. That's interesting. So it basically was, the, it was Hoosier that stopped you and not uh, the competition well, pretty much. It wasn't totally Hoosier. I got to blame part of it on myself. We, we took the front arrow a little bit further. We moved the wings ahead three inches oh. and narrowed the nose cone to get more surface area on the wings. But we weren't able to get anything more in the back end of the car. So part of it was, you know, uh, self-inflicted. Okay. <laughs> well, man, you just, um, I re- you know, I remember that when you started winning, everybody was like, who is this Pat Abold? And it was, it was just this. You know, I feel like for about two or three years, you were just, I mean, maybe you didn't win as much, say, in 93 or 94 or whatever, but I feel like there was a run there where you were just super team. And really, I always, at that point, I was, you know, starting in the media and I was in the pits a lot and talking to people and it, and it just, I feel like you just were so well prepared. I'm not sure any of it was real magic. You guys were just so well prepared. And of course you could drive the wheels off the car. That didn't hurt. Yeah. Dad, um, you know, the first thing he did, cause he was a motor guy. Um, you know, he, he got involved with Kevin Enders. Um, that's how he ended up marrying my sister. Oh, um, okay. He, you know, he ended up being our engine builder there and they got together and <laughs> built a, a really super motor, um, about, quarter of the way through 92 and um you know that thing was an animal and and that was that was a big part of the success so you know we had really good power and and we we're we were doing really well with the handling mike selman was just amazing with the tires and and um you know keeping us on track with you know um set up stuff and you know mike and i just worked really good together it was like we didn't even have to communicate or talk we just you know he knew what i needed and and, um, you know, he did a lot of studying and a lot of talking and meeting people. And, you know, of course, he, he knew a lot of people uh, before he came on our team anyway, because he, he had his little speed shop program. So right. you know, he was already working with shock people. And, um, he got us into career shocks and got us involved with uh, Corey Phillips and advanced racing suspensions and, you know, kind of just took off from there. That's uh, it was really a, it, it was, it was a, it was an amazing run and you guys uh, went through, it was interesting because you guys never seemed to be the type of team to just settle. You went, you, you had, um, you know, you had the, the first car you bought from Jeff West and uh, you, you had a Graves after that, right? Did you, we that... ran that car eight races um, and I sold that to Buddy Deal. That's right. And um, yeah. my father recognized right away that we needed a, a better car so um we made a deal with Andy, Andy and freddie graves to build us a car and uh 
waited all winter for it. Uh, came about March, and it was just about done. I was actually up there in Mexico building the body in the car. Okay. And I went up, um, you know, worked on it all weekend with Andy, and then went back Monday night, and Andy wasn't there. And somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, who was there, but he said, uh, he's not coming back. And I said, what do you mean he's not coming back? He went down south. And <laughs> he, he went down with Jeff Gordon, and and um, when Jeff got that deal with Bill Davis, yeah. and uh and he moved down and never came. He was he wasn't kidding. He never came back. So I had to take the car and stop and finish it myself. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was the start of it. And you ran Graves cars for a while, and then ended up, um, you ended up buying a a Hyder. Was it a Hyder hook? Um, yeah, you know, we got we got uncompetitive there, and um, it was getting really frustrating. And you know, again, part of it was self inflicted. We just we had such a balanced car in the early nineties and, and, you know, really nobody changed anything. Everybody was running the same cars. Uh, Belfiore was building a few cars, you know, Graves had the, the, the main uh, deal out there, Brian Allegresso, his cars. And, yeah. and, you know, for maybe 10 years, nobody really came out with anything really special. What I really needed to do is just go back and, and study what was working and, and go back and refine the cars uh, that way. And, Instead, I, I kind of jumped ship and went with that hydro car, and all that did was cost me two years. That car was a real piece of garbage. <laughs> I, it, just, it was a flexible car, you know, deal, and it just didn't work. And uh, so in, I think, 96, we built a new Graves car, Mike and I did. And um, uh, Cliff Graves built the frame for us, okay. and then Mike and I put that car together. And... Um, Dad did another motor for that car, and and we came out and won one or two races that year. Won a ten thousand win race that year with that car, but I only ran like three or four times. I only ran a Swigo Speedway full time for points six years. Right. Okay. So it was it wasn't a real long career there. I I got involved with uh, USAC with Hoffman's. Yeah, I want to get to that. Kind of, yeah, I kind of went that way and and uh, got really close to getting in a Craftsman truck and got close to getting in an Indy car and. So I kind of got away from it a little bit and never really came back and did it full time again. So um, let's talk about that, because that's what I, that's part of what I, you never it was like there was always a next level or a next challenge for you. Um, and uh, how did the opportunity with uh, Hoffman's come about to go open wheel racing in the Midwest. Um, I mean, I, I, I will never forget Thursday night thunder, uh, that, that moment. Uh, but talk about how that whole thing got started. Yeah. So, um, uh, with the success we had with the super modified, I got a call from I don't remember his name. I don't remember, but, um, the car number was three M one, three N one. And that was the car that, uh, I can't remember who, but they won three races in one day. Oh, wow. Uh, with the car. Um, it was uh, it was either Jack Hewitt or it might have been even Mario or somebody like that. Okay. Uh, but way back in the day. And, you know, the guy kept racing Silver Crown cars for years and, and became very uncompetitive. The car was old. It was, you know, 10, 12 years old. Sure. This was 95, I got the call. So I called Irish Saunders, who, you know, I talked to two or three times a week, and he, he's the one that got me on the Hoosier deal, and and we had a sponsorship from Hoosier, and okay. so we got, you know, we got pretty close there. It was on part of Bentley Warren helping me, and I called him. And I said, "Hey, what about this Silver Crown car?" And he goes, "No, don't do a pet." And uh, 
he says, uh, let me, let me make a couple phone calls for you. So he called Richard Hoffman and, um, said, Hey, uh, Abel's looking for a silver crown ride. You know, do you have a driver for your silver crown card? He says, no. He, and they talked back and forth. And within a day or two, I got a call from Richard Hoffman and we made a deal to go to Phoenix and, um, 96, 96, okay. um, one race and went there and, uh, the car wasn't prepared right. I hadn't run it in eight years. <clears throat> oh, wow. Screwed up in it. And I think I ended up finishing, you know, top 15 or something like that. And so the next year, 97, he called me. He says, hey, we're going to run four races this year. We'd like you to drive for us. So I said, that'd be great. So um, he says, we're going to run the Coca-Cola 100, the opener. Um, it was in May. You know, can you come that week and give us a hand finishing the car? So I, I think there on Wednesday, and the car was on jack stands. The motor was bolted in the chassis, and the seat was bolted in. There's no front axle, no rear axle. Oh, gosh. And built a panel bar for it. The fuel cell wasn't in it. it nothing. Wow. So I worked three days. They they went to their jobs all day. Rob, you know, Rob was a banker, and Richard was in the real estate. And I worked in their race shop, you know, uh, and I'd only raced with these guys once, um, putting the car together. Wow. And then Rob would get home from the bank at 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and then we'd work till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning on the car. And uh, took it to IRP and unloaded it and had a massive oil leak in the engine. I, I can't remember. I think it was an intake gasket or something. Missed the first warm-up session and oh, got out for the second warm-up session. And, and the car felt pretty good. And uh, time trialed, I think I was fourth quick. 60 cars took time. And we were fourth quick and uh, won the race. Um, so it was a great start with Hoffman's. They were, sure. they were sold. And then um, we ran four races that year. I won that race. I won St. Louis, the inaugural race at uh, at um, that speed that mile and a quarter speedway in St. Louis. And I got a second and a third in the other two races. So that led to them asking me to drive their sprint car next year. So I ran Silver Crown car in the sprint car for them. And um, so we had, you know, we had a pretty good time together. I think I ran for those guys for three or four years. You ran... just got tough driving all the way to the Midwest every week. It was, it was really tough, but they, they took good care of me, but um, it just was, it was getting brutal driving that far all the time. Yeah. I was going to ask, that's where I was going to go. It's like, it, it, it seems like you started running a lot of races. I was going to ask you how you were kind of doing the back and forth thing, or if you, there was a point where you stayed there for a while. Um, yeah. I ran two seasons, two spring car seasons. We finished second in the points one year and won the, points the second year i drove pavement and then dave darlin drove in the dirt for him and you so were, combined we we would win him a championship boy but you were you were going back and forth every race to to the midwest race yeah i was wow. yeah, depending on where it was i would fly vicky gosick helped me a little bit uh, with some flights um through delta okay and then you know she did what she could and then um i i overused that deal so you know i'd, I'd fly to some races and drive to others man um, they paid me well, you know, they, they paid me 50% of the earnings from the car. So, you know, the silver crown car, you know, I did real well in that. Sure. Well, those were $20,000 to win races. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, but that still, I mean, having to, especially when you drove, um, you know, you get there, you're tired, whatever. It's like, there's, there's a fatigue factor that had to come in. It's amazing that you were able to kind of get through that and do as well as you did, but I could yeah, see well, why was, you, you know, I was just know. used to it from snowmobile racing. I mean, we, we'd, we'd leave, uh, work on Friday and drive the banger moon and be there Saturday morning. You'd race all day Saturday and then race all day Sunday and leave at five, six o'clock at night and drive back to get back home 
you know, and then the next week you go to Jackman, Maine and come back. Yeah. The next week it'll be Peterborough, Ontario, come back and then go to Eagle River, Wisconsin for the world championship. You know, it just, we we're used to it. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it wasn't anything, anything different. So talk about, you said you had, you, you almost had a truck opportunity, almost had an IndyCar opportunity. Talk about, because I know that there, that, that all had to come from obviously the exposure you got driving for Hoffman, or at least a lot of it. Talk about yeah, those so things. Yeah, so I made a name in Super Modifieds, obviously. And, um, you know, uh, the um, Open Wheel Magazine did a uh, front page deal. I remember in, that. I don't know, 92 or 93. Yeah, I don't I remember, remember what it was. And, and you know, you, you start to make a name for yourself. And then the, that led to the Silver Crown deal. And then the national TV shows went in, you know, went in on national TV. Yeah. And then Thursday Night Thunder and, and those, you know. Uh, and that's when... Uh, USAC kind of got ousted by by uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and they started the IRL, and they wanted the American drivers, so that was all played in the favor as far as the IndyCar deal went. So um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway invited me to go to Phoenix to get my IndyCar license, and um, that was a cool deal. We went there, and I, I ran 40 laps in an IndyCar and got licensed on, um, I think it was a mile and a half or less tracks. Uh, you needed to go to uh, Indy to get licensed on the bigger tracks right um and then you know but when all that was happening i was 34 years old and that whole young driver thing started yeah. and they were looking for the you know and then 25 24 year olds and you know ryan newman hadn't won a silver crown race or anything yet but he got pulled out he was doing really well the mid- midgets and everything and um uh you know it was the same time with kenny Irwin jr um you know he went to roush and I got looked at by uh, the Craftsman truck deal out of uh, Ohio. It was a Ford Ford deal, and it was just an age thing and marketability. So it was, <laughs> you know, if it would happen during my snowmobile years, something probably would have came out of it. But um, it was just a, I was a definitely ahead, yeah, age wise, and, and I think that just is what you know stopped the whole thing from happening or going further. That's sad, honestly. I've never, it's never, you know, you watch and you kind of see the trends and I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, it's like you look at guys like yourself and you and down here we got people like Bubba Pollard. And I mean, there's just tons of guys up there and modifieds and whatever dirt, dirt. And, and uh, it's just a shame that, uh, you know, that that part, part of it was my bit. fault, though. You know, Bentley talked to me two or three times and he says, Pat, you got to move down south. You've got to pack up right now, and you you got an opportunity. You got to get down south right now is the time. And uh, I said I, ju- I don't want to do it, Bentley. I just um, yeah. I'm, I'm rooted up here. We have businesses up here, and you know there's a chance something could happen if I move down south. But there's a hundred percent chance that that you know my business is going to fail if I'm right. not here. So yeah. um, you know I I at that at that age I just you know if you're 18, 19, you can do that. Yeah. But, Yep. When you're already rooted and you you know you got businesses going and family and all that, you just can't do that. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It yep. really is. And and uh, but you you know you definitely uh, made a mark and um, you know and and had an opportunity there with Hoffman and um, you know all of that. That I mean, shoot, ninety percent of uh, your you know the other competitors you raced against will never get. And that had to be a special time for you guys to go do that. And when you came back. It seems like, um, I mean, you, you, as you say, you were never full-time at Oswego again, but you certainly weren't out of racing. No, no. We came back and ran a few races. Like I said, I, we came back and won that 10,000 to win race yeah. and won a couple other races uh, up there. And then, 
um, I ran, I got out of it for a little while, and then uh, Paul Dunnigan called me and asked if I'd drive for him. That was fun, a couple of years. Um, I bet it was. Won a championship for those guys. Um, I, think I got second in the first year in the championship, and then won the second year, and you know, won a bunch of races for those guys. So that was a that was a cool time, and and then uh, then it sort of wound down after that. Paul died, and the team went on for one more year, and then they set it down. Um, I ran a little bit with Craig Rivals, which was fun. He was a great guy to run with. Um, had some fun with him. You know, help them get their program going a little bit better, and then he helped Jeffrey get started. Jeffrey yeah, was running the Ford right. Focus deal. Yep. And he provided a car for Jeffrey, and we we took the car and housed it at our race shop. And Jeff had some success. He did real well at Star Speedway a couple times and finished third in the Classic, the the first race he ran. And so yeah, that was. And I think the 2006 season was the last time I ran a car. That was uh yeah that was uh you ran classic right for uh for Craig was that right was yeah that, yeah yep. I think you didn't you have a top five too like fourth and fifth I uh, finished fourth, fourth yep. yeah uh, Doug Hebron yeah. got me with like two two oh, to go that's right <laughs> yeah brought the uh, what was uh, Clyde's famous quote he brought a, a don I brought a donkey to a uh, to the Kentucky Derby and finished third I think was the quote. yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was, uh, I remember that. Now, I want to go back a minute, though, because running for Paul Dunnigan, I mean, there were a lot of characters I- I involved in that deal, um, first of which was Paul. You got to have a couple Dunnigan stories you can tell. Yeah. Um, he he always uh, he would always come down. You know, we got we got going really good. Um, you know, we talked about that in the early 90s there. And that's kind of when he was getting started. Yeah. And um you know, there was Thompson Speedway um, in 92. You know, we had won the Oswego Championship. We were on our, I think, 14th win of the season. Uh, all we had to do was take the green flag at Thompson, and we won the Isma Championship. And um, I had the previous three races to that. Um, they used to do, I don't know if you remember, you know, the top 12 qualifiers would go out on the front straightaway in Isma, and they'd redraw. That's right, In yeah. front of the fans. Yep. And... I had a run there where I was drawn, you know, first, second, or third. And um, I don't know if it really mattered where I started. We were just running so good. We were at such a roll. And I think I won the last four or five races of the ISMA uh, deal that year. And the last one was at Thompson. And and uh, he comes up to me and he says, um, what what'd you draw there, Pat? And I says, I drew 12. He says, well, I guess your luck has run out. And uh, I says, well, Paul, can you go down and give your drivers a message for me? He says, I sure will. I says, tell him I'm going to wave to him when I go by. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't know what to say. So uh, I went out, and thankfully I won the race. And then he come down after the race was over. He walked into our pit. He looked at me, turned around, walked back out of the pit, turned back around, came back in, looked at me again, shook his head, and turned around and walked away and never said a word to me. <laughs> That's hilarious. He yeah. didn't know what to say. Well, we used to go back and forth on stuff like that all the time. He, uh, when when we had the Cellular One uh, sponsorship, they were doing those cartoons. Okay. And uh, uh, Michael Dean was the the marketing guy for Cellular One, and and uh, they made these cartoons with the super modified and all that. Don again got a hold of those, and he would change them and draw mustaches on him and all that and fax them to the store in a sweet note. And he and Mike Selman were faxing stuff back and forth. And it was just constant. It never stopped. 
He was such a dynamic character. He just yeah. loved it. I, I always felt like Paul really just loved being around the people. Like it was it for him. It was just a great time. He didn't. Yeah. yeah he wanted to win. He wanted it. But for him, it was just all about having a great time. It just seemed like. Yeah. By the time I got to drive for him, um, he was, you know, he was really sick. Oh, he and, was. Uh, he was. He would only show up to the close by New England races, and uh, really never, um, really never got a chance to talk to him any after that. He kind of kept to himself, and um, so I, I never, yeah, I never really got a chance to get to know him on that level. Um, it was more a competitive level, and and um, but I always had a lot of respect for him. He, um, you know, he worked really hard in life. He was in a different business than most of us would get involved in, but. Um, he, he was very successful. He, he, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that he, he, uh, took apartments that were just completely run down and, and Lowell and rebuilt them. And, oh, wow. And, you know, made a lot of really nice housing for people. Um, it was, you know, low end, low end apartments, no but kidding. he did, you know, he made them real nice for the people. He did a lot for that community. Now who and you, he, he did a ahead. lot for Isma too. Um, you know, there was times when, you know, Isma was a little tight, and he would just he would just pay part of the purse. He and Eddie Shea, I mean, they oh, wow. together and kind of took bailed Isma out a lot. That's interesting. See, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, he was he was just such a he was such a character, so much fun to be around. Um, you had now you ran with who was your teammate there at the time? Was it Bentley or was it Russ? Who did you? Because I feel like that was kind of a a rotating cast of drivers over the time you were with him. Yeah, he um, Bentley drove a couple races uh during the the two or three years that i ran with them uh it was russ wood and myself okay all right and how and then john mckennedy drove uh the last year i drove that john mckennedy drove a third car oh okay interesting now how did how did you guys i mean you and russ and and all that how did that i mean i know being a teammate to bentley has got to be just you know there again the stories you could probably tell but i don't know if half of them would fit the family show uh yeah. but uh <laughs> you'd have to clean them up probably but uh yeah but um you know what was it like racing with all those guys because those are some really you know legendary guys i think even mckennedy i consider him to be one of the best of the modern era uh you know he can run a super and a modified and kick everybody's ass at both yep yep um, he, he definitely is good. He was talented when he was young. I remember watching him run uh, the um, 350 Supers at Star, and he was only like 13, and he was winning. Wow. And um, so, I mean, he just he, – he was definitely a talent. Um, racing with Bentley, um, you know, I just got along really, really good with Bentley. Um, we had a lot of respect for each other um, through the years, and um, I think Bentley recognized early on that, you know, our team was – a serious team and you know we were serious about racing and anybody that was serious about racing you know he really liked and i think that you know we always raced each other really clean and and um so i got along really good with bentley um you know mike ordway and i were really good friends through the years um and racing with russ um russ russ is just a an easy guy to get along with um you know, we never had any issues whatsoever. Um, he kind of did his thing. I did my thing. And, and um, you know, together we, we won a bunch of races for those guys. I've talked with Jeff a little bit about those days. That's kind of where he, he kind of got to be involved and start learning 
the the cars um through that what was it like having him around for for all of that too yeah he was um i think he was around four, 13 14 uh, at the time he was done quarter midget racing and we hadn't got the uh, ford focus midget yet and he was kind of in between for a couple of years so he came along and and um kind of you know he was my crew guy yeah <laughs> and, uh, doc hathaway was the car chief and oh okay and he and he and jeffrey um hit it off because you know their intellect and um, doc kind of coached and taught him and you know um worked with him a lot and so jeff learned an awful lot from from doc those few years there it was uh, it's incredible to me you 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 said the the word intellect how smart jeffrey is i mean it's just amazing to talk to him and listen to him talk about you know the technical sides of the cars and all that and and you know um the engineering part of it because you can just tell that he just knows so much about that um what is you what in your observation what are the similarities and differences between you and jeffrey as racers well, he's much more studious than I am, for one. Um, I'm more of a hands-on, uh, kind of learn by mistake. Okay. And he's more sit down and study and, and you know, try to do it right the first time. And um, it, it makes a good it makes a good partnership. You know, he he is a, a sharp kid. He, he, you know, he was summa cum laude at Oswego State. Oh, he was? Uh, well, that's not oh, surprising. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> He did. Um, oh he did gosh. that four-year business school in, in three years, Jeez. and it just came naturally, naturally to him. Um, you know, thankfully, he got a lot of genes from the other side of his family. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, um, you know, my experience, and then uh, you know, his his studious uh, nature um, just works. And uh, I I really felt like he needed to go to engineering school, so I sent him to. You know, University of Buffalo for engineering, and oh. it just wasn't him. He didn't want to do engineering; he just wanted to do business. So uh, he did one semester of that, came back, and went to Oswego State, and did it, did his business deal there. And so he never see. I thought he, and now that's kind of where I started to. You know, I was away and didn't. He he went. He I thought he finished engineering school and then went to Oswego State. So no. he only did part of. That's incredible. All he knows about race cars, and he didn't even finish the degree. No, he didn't. He, um, he wow. just, it just wasn't his interest. He, uh, he, he, I guess he kind of knew then he wanted to come into the family business and he just wanted to learn business. Incredible. See, that's a side to Jeffrey that I think most people probably, you know, who don't know you guys really well. I mean, even when, you know, whenever I've been to, you know, cause I, I always tried to have you guys work on the car when I was in the Swiggo and he, whenever he, you know, I would go, he'd be working on cars. He wasn't really doing business. He was working on cars and I yeah. had no idea that that was more of his side. So now him kind of starting to, at least from what he said, and I've heard this from a couple of people that he's him and Mike are kind of, you know, taking more of a business part of the business and and uh that makes more sense now yeah we um i haven't been to the oswego store four times in a year wow um we you know my brother and i bought another business in palmyra and oh you did 2010 yeah we expanded in the auto parts the recycling side oh and um so we ended up with three three locations and um we just sold it um we closed on it two weeks ago it was oh a, wow a year-long uh negotiation and 
So AMP Auto Parts is not owned by the Abel family anymore. It's it's been sold to a consolidator. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, the store in Oswego, um, you know, is being run by Jeff and Mike, and uh, you know, I'll consult and do whatever I need to do. But um, I've got other things that I'm going to do, and and uh, so I'm kind of in semi-retirement mode. Okay. Do we get any hints as to what Pat's next adventure might be? It's going to be some sort of property, um, you know, buying and selling property or doing okay. something like that. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm going to take a year and, and make sure I make the right decision. Maybe it won't be anything. I don't know. <laughs> right now, though, it's it's the race shop. Yeah, you seem to, that's what uh, Jeff was saying, that you're kind of the guy. And, yeah. you know, um, again, not totally surprising, but, um, you know, it's really been amazing to kind of watch you and Jeffrey, uh, like you said, when you first, you know, brought the car the car out, uh, you know, you had a few issues with it. And, and obviously, I'm sure there was a learning curve. Um, but boy, once you, once you nailed it, you nailed it. It took about, what, two, three years, but... Um, it took it took um, three attempts. Uh, the only original part of that original car is the part Jeffrey sits in the roll cage. The oh. front end was cut off twice, and the back end was cut off once and completely changed. So, oh wow! Yeah, it's it's been completely completely changed. Okay, so what was the most difficult kind of part of it for you guys to to master to learn? What is it about the new style cars that makes it that way? Well. Um, we got a little radical with the car with left side weight and um, weight placement and the balance of the car was just absolutely horrible um, when we first brought it out. Okay. And I had a front suspension system that didn't work and, and you know, that was the first thing that went. And then uh, that first winter I cut the front end of the car off and started changing the offset of the car and and the motor placement and things. And um, we finally found a, 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 balanced package um, that worked and then we've you know continued to improve the suspension system on the car and the geometry in the car um, over the years and it's just sort of gotten better you know you can you can switch cars and buy different cars and you got to kind of start all over again and you know i think one of the things with this car you know this car was built we started building in 2012 so it's 10 years old um but it's it's not ten years old either. A lot of it's brand new, right? So yeah. There's things that are changed every year, and it becomes new again. So, um, you just learn it, and and then you know once you learn the things that work and don't work, um, you can just start refining things. And I think there's an advantage to to sticking the same car. Um, the technology has been more to the aerodynamic side. So, um, this wing package that Oswego Speedway adopted a couple of years ago, um, kind of kind of made our car so it was competitive again it was sort of getting obsolete with joey you know joey hawksby building the, the cars that were kind of asymmetrical and rolling the roll cages over and getting more air to the rear tail and, yeah um you know we were starting to get behind with that and they came out with this new aero deal um and it kind of woke our car back up again so we were kind of lucky in that respect okay now how much input at this point does jeffrey have in terms of design and you know those types of things and how much of it is is yourself or you know the other folks on the crew i think as far as the fabrication and design part of it i'm probably 90 percent. he's 10 percent. okay um he does all the appearance stuff on the car all the body work um, oh wow really good at that and, <laughs> he um, is that car is yeah. beautiful um we build the wings together. Um, 
but the the suspension design and all that stuff you know we talk about it a lot but um, i do most of the fabrication on that and then when it comes down to setup and you know what he's feeling in a car because probably one of his best attributes is his incredible feel for a race car i can make the tiniest little changes in the car and it'll make a tenth of a second difference in the stopwatch i'll come and go that's a little better or if it's a tenth of a second slow it, it wasn't as good and he, he just has a he, he always did right from quarter midget days he had a really really good feel for a race car so um he calls the shots on you know when we're it's race day and and you know uh we, we listen to him a hundred percent because you know the information that comes out of him is is spot on and wow. then between he mike and myself we'll we'll come up with a plan um we really weren't competitive saturday night through the day and and you know we came up with a plan after the heat race was over and and improved the car and he was able to go out and win the race amazing yeah i and and i don't i feel like we need to really talk about mike too because um I think sometimes people just don't appreciate how smart and how well-studied Mike Silliman is, um, and not just about tires either, it seems like. It's just, in general, I mean, I love talking to him because I always learn a ton, whether we're doing a show or I'm, you know, in AMP just shooting it with him, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like I've been a couple times. It's just, what talk about the, you know, the influence that Mike's had in, in, in what he brings to the team. Well, first of all, I trust him implicitly. Um, I trust him with my kids, my family, you know, so there's just a the trust factor. And again, sure. you know, we go back so many years um, and we know each other so well that, you know, we, we can pretty much um, figure out what the other person is doing before they do it. And and then the other thing about Mike is he's got a, he's got the best memory of anybody I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. He can remember. I can say to Mike um, – Hey, in 97, when we won the 10,000-win race, what spring race did we have in the car? He'll rattle right off to you. Really? You remember after the heat race where the car was pushing and we, we had to put a right rear spring on the car or change the shock? I mean, just it doesn't matter what race it is you go back <laughs> to it. He'll tell you what compound tire you had, what springs were in the tire. So, you know, that's huge uh, at the racetrack. So you don't you don't make the same mistakes over and over. Yeah. And then um, um, he, he's just got um, – you know he's he's gotten uh, back into it a little bit here this year. Uh, he's he came back on the team full time. He he stopped doing the Hoosier deal, mainly doing the Hoosier deal at Oswego. Yeah. And he's been wanting to do this for a few years, and you know uh, it it just worked out this year. So it's pretty much been the three of us, um, and we just have a really good relationship. Um, it's and Mike's getting more and more confident now because he's been away from it so long. Um, you know he's at the track now. He's kind of getting back to the old Mike where. You know, you start to do something. Nope, nope, not doing that. We're doing it this way. And, okay, <laughs> so we're doing it then. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, boss. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now is he is he kind of overseeing the Oswego AMP too, or is that Jeff with his? I mean, how does that work there? Yeah. So you know, they they're kind of a team there. Um, okay. Mike is pretty much does all the inside stuff. He he handles all the bus snowplow stuff. He orders. You know, he's responsible for, for that huge order every year. And he, he um, you know, he decides what we're going to get, what product we're going to get. And every year we sell it all. He, he, he knows Jeez. what's going to be popular. And, um, you know, so he's, he orders all the tires and, and does all that. Jeff's kind of runs the shop and, um, um, 
you know, make sure things are staying efficient in the shop and, and things are going the right way there. Um, I keep telling Jeffrey he's he needs to start getting more inside and get somebody hired into the shop just just for I think that the business could be more successful if he if he came inside, but he he doesn't let go out there. He, he's uh, he likes things done a certain <laughs> way, and he's right involved in it every day. That's uh, that's awesome. I mean, it's really quite a story, to be honest. And and uh, you know, from your dad, and and then of course uh, we almost I, I don't want to leave out. There's a couple of parts. Uh, you actually um, at one point you guys bought a dirt modified and went to Syracuse and raced. Um, well, yeah, I forgot about that. So yeah. I won the two silver crown races in 97 and then I won, um, I got second and third and other ones. I, I think I took in somewhere around $35,000 in those four races. Wow. And, and, um, and I was running their sprint car too. So season was over. And, and the year before that, uh, you know, my brother had a, a dirt, modified that he bought brand new it was a teal car that year and um he had a, a second teal car that was a year old and um it was kind of a syracuse special car and my father built a big pontiac motor for it uh for billy a pontiac and we were we were done with um yeah it was a chevy big block but they had pontiac heads on them back then. oh they interesting okay i didn't know that yeah and so anyway um Billy had the other short track car sitting there, and I says, you know, can I throw that together and run it at Syracuse? And he goes, it's not going to be competitive, but go ahead. So I took one of my super motors, threw an intake manifold on it, <laughs> put a carburetor on it. Mike and I threw it in the car, and, and uh, we went out and qualified for the race. And I think I finished 15th or 16th I was or say, something. You were in the middle of the pack and, somewhere. And so the next year, I won the Silver Crown races, and um, Billy Taylor had that car that, that uh, Doug Kaufman had drove the year, or Dave Blaney drove the year before. And, and he only made like 10 laps in a race, something broke. It was a brand new teal car. Okay. So I went up there and it was sitting there in two sets of wheels. And of course the motor wasn't in it, but it was a complete rolling chassis, transmission, everything. And it was, it was, everything was chrome plated. I mean, it was just a beautiful car. So I said, what do you, what do you want for that car? He says, I'll sell you that car and all the parts for $13,000. Oh my gosh. I paid him 13,000 for the car. We brought it back, put us one of the super motors in it again and, and um, I went and qualified it in the top 10, and, and uh, I had myself up to fourth in the race, and, and we came in and pitted and put the, the set of tires on to finish the race, and they just weren't the same as the tires that were on before. But I ended up finishing ninth. It was, it was a good run. And then I sold it for $13,000. Oh, so you didn't end up losing anything. <laughs> no. That's pretty, had fun with it and then sold it. That's pretty cool. Now, yeah. we should talk because you did have two brothers also uh, were involved in racing for quite a while. Talk about that a little bit. It was really a racing family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think that uh, they were interested in racing, but they weren't. Um, it wasn't a passion like it was for me. Okay. Um, you know, Billy raced for a couple of years there with the street stocks. He won a ton of races with yeah, that. Yeah, Brewerton, um, right, I think. Yeah, Brewerton. Yeah. Um, and then he got in dirt modified, and he ran the dirt circuit yep. for a couple of years there. And he won a couple of races. And, and you know, they had a they had a couple of big races won and had issues. And um, same thing, he got really involved with the business and, and sort of lost interest. And then Danny um, came along later and um, got involved with uh, late models. And then he got, a, got involved with the Hooters Cup deal. And um, actually won a couple of those races. So, um, again, he ran for, I don't know, five, six, seven years. I'm not sure what. Um, and, you know, they just sort of lost interest in it. 
Now, didn't you run his late model at one time for a racer? Yeah, I ran it one time at a Suiza. Yeah, what was that like yeah. running a late model after running a super? Uh, yeah, it was. It's definitely not a super modified. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember when I was running the dirt car at uh, Syracuse. Um, you know, you had radios and everything, and second lap around the track, and Mike Mike calls me in the ring and goes, "What do you think?" And I said, "This thing's like driving a wet noodle." <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's like everything fun. was in slow motion. Yeah, I would would imagine that was probably uh, your reaction. Um, I've heard that before from other guys that have done it. Who is the toughest competitor that you have ever raced against? If you had to pick one, who was the toughest, toughest nails competitor that you ever raced against? Um, I'd have to say it was Bentley in his prime. Yeah, you were yeah in his like third prime. Yeah, <laughs> Bentley well, had several primes. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, I mean, he was really competitive when I started racing. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was winning the the classic, and he'd win the Star Classic, and he'd go win the High Mile. I mean, he just was winning everything, and um, he he was he was tough as nails. You know, um, there was a there was a lot of guys. Uh, you know, I could name off six or seven guys. Go ahead. Um, during the early early 90s that were just tough competitors you know eddie bellinger bill gosick you know steve joya um there was a bunch of uh russ wood mike ordway um all those guys were just really tough and any one of them got in a good car they were really tough to beat yeah you uh you you were you were involved at, at, at in one of those you know i don't I mean, I've always been a 70s guy because that's when I grew up. But, you know, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, not to say that from 2004 it hasn't been competitive because that's certainly not true, but it just felt like, my gosh, you had so many of the legends still racing right through the 90s. Um, and, of course, Bentley didn't quit till like, what, 06 or 07. Um, but, you, you know, you – and you still had a few of them like Darrow and McKnight, uh, you know, that were – that have run – um, right up to recently, but my gosh, the '90s were unbelievable at Oswego, and and uh, you know you were right uh, right in the middle and leading that pack, and it was pretty yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, when you it, look back, it was different then. Um, you know, I remember starting the Oswego Classic and and you know going around that parade lap, and the front grandstand would be standing room only, filled. Yeah, the back grandstand would be three quarters full, and there was there was you know, nights during the summer special shows during the early nineties where they'd open the back grandstand and yeah. a ton of people back there. And then I remember snowmobile races, um, where the grandstands, you couldn't get another person in the grandstands and then they'd be lined up all the way around the track and they, they push snow up against the outside of the track and people would just stand 10 deep all the way around the track it was wow. like every weekend. And then as the years have gone on, it's just sort of faded and faded a little more and a little more. And the interest in racing is just not what it used to be. I mean, you think about, you know, entertainment back in the, you talk about the seventies, there wasn't anything. No, there was, there was two Movies, channels you know, on TV yeah. and you had your transistor radio and that was it for electronics. Yeah. And, you know, most people were interested in, in motorized vehicles because it was, it was new and, uh, you know, they're coming out with new things all the time. I mean, snowmobiles didn't really get started heavy until the end of the sixties and into the seventies. So that was all new. And now it's just sort of old hat. And I think when, when you know, handheld uh, devices and technology came along and, you know, computer games and all those things, it was more exciting to kids than, you know, they didn't need to go outside the house to, to go find entertainment. And I think that has a lot to do with 
you know, the demise of racing. I, you know, I say the demise. I, I'm not sure it's going to go away, but it's changing. I mean, quickly. You know, yeah. Uh, Flow TV and it's just changed the game. Yeah. Well, and in some ways, I think it's good because I think iRacing has introduced a lot of young people to racing that, you know, that might not otherwise have even, you know, batted an eyelash at it. And now that we've had some of those guys like William Byron and some of the others actually go from sim to seat, you know, I think kids are so in I think some of it's good. And then, of course, you know, some of it probably not so much, but you're right. Yeah. It's definitely changing. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's just a different time, but it, it's got to be, uh, you know, just still, um, you know, so much fun to go racing with Jeffrey. Um, I know probably on the bad nights that uh, you kind of wonder what, you know, why we're we still doing this. But, you know, you have a night like the other night and you come out with a win and it's just like, well, that's why we're doing it. Because, you know, we're chasing wins, right? Still, yeah. after all these years. Yeah. You know, being in racing so long, you, you, you know, you're going to have those bad nights. Yeah. Um, you know, some of them, some of them here recently were self-inflicted and, and you know, just things that we were trying and, and just flat didn't work. Um you know, you, you just, you know, that's going to happen, but I still get as excited to go to Swiggle Speedway on a Saturday night as I did when I was driving myself. That's and awesome. Watching him out there. Um, we won the race Saturday night. It was exactly the same feeling I would have had if I won the race myself. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, we really enjoy it. We, we enjoy doing it as a family. And, and um, so it, it is a lot of fun. You know, I, I remember after, you know, after he won the classic, um, and I, I'll never forget that day because I had actually, you know, uh, DJ was leading and, and I, you know, wanting to get to victory lane, you know, left the tower, was walking down, you know, the stairs in the grandstand. And, and all of a sudden I, I, I turned the corner and I was kind of walking outside and I hear this huge roar, like, and you knew something big happened. And then somebody said, Abel just won the race. Shulik ran out of fuel. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I walked in and I'll never forget. I looked at Jeffrey and it was almost like he, he'd been drunk. He had this yeah. expression on his face. Yeah. like the, the eyes were, it was like, you know, and it's just like, is this really happening? It was That's crazy. Exactly you know? <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, and you know, we're not supposed to be biased, but I always like to see the first time winners and, um, you know, and a first time classic winner is even bigger, right? And and to do it, you know, you never like to see one driver win at the expense of another's misfortune, but that's part of the sport. And right. uh, you know, the 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 odds have gotten even for DJ now a couple times and he's been able to win. So um, you know, but that that had to be for you just the, the the most incredible moment because, you know, obviously you chased a classic forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, basically he got it for the family and, um, that's yeah. the way I look at it. You know, I wouldn't trade anything that's happened in my racing career for, for anything. I mean, you know, somebody said to me once, would you trade any of those championships for a classic win? No, it, it is what it is. Yep. Uh, I, I, I was super close a couple times. Yes, I think I were. probably would have won it in 92 and I had a 50 cent O-ring go bad in a power steering pump and Ugh. use all the power steering fluid out of it. You know, that car was on rails that day, and I was just playing around up up in the front. It just wasn't meant to be. And, uh, 
you know, sometimes it's out of your hands. I mean, it, there's a lot of really good racers around this country that didn't win the big race that, sure. they, that they were yep. at every year. And, um, but the silver crown race has made up for it for me. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. Uh, but that had to be a, just an incredible day for you to, to celebrate yeah, with Jeffrey was, like that. Was. I mean, that, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that, I don't know if you know this, that Chris won the $10,000 fan plan thing that day too. Oh, so, really? No, I yeah, didn't know yeah, that. She, well, she won gosh. the $10,000 fan plan thing uh, pulled it just before the race. So she was all excited about that when I won the race. So it was a good day for the Eagle family. <laughs> Jeffrey said, hold my beer. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like he just went out and won, what, 15 or whatever it was to win. Um, yeah. That was a very lucrative day for you guys. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know that I, that I even ever knew that. Uh that's awesome. Well, um, Pat, it has been so much fun to to relive uh, your career with you, and and just to to sit back and and kind of uh, go through some some incredible memories. You really did have a pretty amazing racing career by anyone's standards, and to be able to do what you did, you know, and 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 achieve, uh, you know, not only in the Super but also with the Silver Crown and you know, be able to run the, the Syracuse race, which is obviously the, the Cadillac of dirt races for the, the dirt mods and um, do all the things that you did and to, to get in an Indy car and, and go test. I mean, you know, um, when you look back, I mean, is there anything that you would like to have done that you didn't get to do? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing that I wanted to do is I wanted a shot at the at that time, the Craftsman trucks. Um, oh, okay. I felt like I could have uh, gotten in there and been competitive, and and you know, at that time, those guys were making, on the average, um, three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. So wow. you, know, you need to do that for a few years, and it makes a big difference in your life, you know. Yeah, I bet. And um, that was the that was a big thing I was shooting for, you know, all the time that we had spent away from the family, and you know, it would have made up for that. And um, you never know where it could have led after that, right? Sure. Uh, a couple yeah. guys made a fortune. Um, but, uh, it didn't happen. We, we did well in business and, and we've had a great family life and we continue to race locally, which is, you know, is a lot of fun. And, um, so yeah, no regrets. Well, and you guys are still traveling. You're going to Sandusky this week and, uh, trying, uh, trying to get a high miler and, and, uh, definitely would, would love to see that happen for you guys. I know that you're, um, I think you've been kind of multitasking this whole time. Cause I can hear things in the background that tell me you're trying to work and talk at the same time, which uh, yeah, you do very I, well, I, by I, the I way. I was outside talking and the mosquitoes got me. So I had to go oh. to the shop. I'm at the other end of the shop. So. Uh, the guys are working away, getting tires mounted and everything, getting ready to go. Well, it, uh, I, I know that uh, you guys do enjoy still traveling and supporting ISMA and, and uh, MSS and doing what you can. Um, yep. So I uh, wish you guys a, a good, safe trip out there, and uh, uh, hopefully a checkered flag comes your way. I know you're going to be trying hard. Jeffrey is so good. Uh, no matter what wing he runs with, that kid can just drive the wheels off a car. Yeah. Yep. So hopefully it'll it'll go our way this weekend. Tom, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, giving me a call here. Absolutely. Um, appreciate your time and uh, good luck this weekend, Pat. And uh, be safe. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye. That is Pat Abold, and uh, we'll be back with more of the groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West Second Street, in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, 
lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to The Groove as we get set to start our final segment for this episode 105. That is where we start. We'll start with the number 05 and the relevance that it has in Oswego Speedway and Supermodified history. We'll start with Pat and Jeff Abel there. So uh, no Jack Patrick moments for me in this show with this number. Uh, Jeff and Pat were the last two, and I don't believe that in the time in which Pat and Jeff ran the 05, I don't think anyone else ever drove their cars. So we'll, I don't think there were any kind of one-offs. You know, somebody had to miss a night or, you know, somebody was injured and somebody else filled in. Um, at one point, I know when Pat was racing, they had two cars, and there were some guys like Bentley and some others that uh, got into their a backup car but it was always renumbered to like 85 or something so uh, i don't think anybody ever has driven pat abold or jeff abold's cars but those two so now let's go back to the beginnings of my time in the early 70s at the track and again i'm not responsible for the 60s sometimes i remember just from reading programs but or somebody telling me along the way But most of the time, I don't really know too much about uh, that. So I started in 73. The very first 05 that I remember was a guy named Ed Bell. Eddie Bell was, I believe he was a Canadian racer who ended up moving somewhere into New York, if I remember the story correctly. The first car that I remember Ed Bell driving was a car that was a Holinsky chassis. I Yes, I, I know it was. It was a Holinsky chassis, and I believe he bought it from Brian Osgood. And I think Brian, gosh, I couldn't even tell you. Let's see, I got to think about the... Holinsky history here so the Cheney 19 I think became Johnny Casey's 88 then there was the Schofield 60 well it was 66 for Red Barnhart that became and then Mike Losher I think ran it a bit and then it became it got sold and became the yellow 29 that Mark Letcher drove. What did I say that was? That would have been, what, 74, I think? Yeah, because Ronnie Wallace then took over for 75, and they renumbered the car from 29 to 76. Now, that car is in the Northeast Motorsports Hall of Fame in Weedsport, 
uh, with a 76 livery. So it wasn't that car. And I believe, like I said, the Cheney 19. So I'm trying to think what the, um, the origination of this 05 car that Bell had that Osgood drove before him. And the only one, the only thing I can come up with, I think Buck Buckley had a Holinsky car numbered what three? I think he was three. And so perhaps Buckley sold to Osgood who sold to Bell. And so we'll see if, uh, that's a real shot in the dark, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see if I got that one right. I'm not uh, optimistic because uh, it's like uh, Larry Trinka and uh, a couple of others are really good at um, at letting me know what I got wrong. Um, and I'm glad because that's what this is all about, right? I don't take offense to that. This is fun. So, uh, <laughs> but I've been, uh, my batting average is lower lately than it used to be. Um, so I think, uh, I'm going to go with that. And then, so Eddie Bell had the 05 and then I think, boy, I want to say that he had it. And then, um, I, cause for some reason I have 75 in my head for him. Like he, he brought it back and had to change the number. And I don't really know why that would have happened unless the year he brought the car back. Cause I do know that he drove for Jimmy Sewell, um, for a year. And I, I'm going to guess that would have been 76. He ran for Jimmy brand new car. And I think he walled it during classic, maybe on Friday. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they brought the old upright car that Ronnie McLeod had driven for Jimmy. They brought the old upright car back out on Sunday. Didn't make the field. Um, and then maybe he went back to driving his own car for a year or so. And it was, I think he had to make it 75. And I'm going to take a wildfire here and say that that was because... The next guy who drove the 05 that I remember might have already been racing at the track. And that, no, 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 that wouldn't have been it. I was going to say Don Whalen, but Don was 08. Why was he 08? Who was the 05? It must have been Bell. So I don't know. For some reason, I have him um, running at his 75, but I can't figure out who would have been in an 05 that Whalen had to be the 08 in the Super. He was always 05 in the Modified. He had to be owing in the super because there was an 05. And so the next number in that sequence that was available was 08. So that makes me think I'm either that Bell was 05 or um, there was another 05 that's escaping my brain. And of course, somebody will catch me on that. Um, then the next 05, I remember, gosh, are we all the way to... I'm almost positive Gene Lee Gibson was 05 at one point. Uh, and again, I'm probably wrong. Gene Lee was a lot of numbers. <laughs> but I think, I think in the, gosh, how early in the 80s would this have been? Maybe 80, what, three, four, five, somewhere in that range? Todd Gibson had his last car, which was, I think it was a, either a Graves or a Graves copy. 
But he had a he had a car that um and, and when Gene Lee debuted, I'm pretty sure he was 05. And then um and then I think he went to seventy five and he was in his dad's zero. And I mean we could spend a whole segment doing Gene Lee, you know, where what was what did Gene Lee drive? Um, cause he drove so many different cars, different numbers, drove for different people. Um, one of the many, many people who drove for Steve Miller, uh, in the sweet 16s, plural. Uh, so I think Gene Lee was 05 though. And I'm trying to think, cause I really feel like I'm missing an obvious one and I can't. Now in the, I'm going to just throw this in that perhaps in the limited class, which has become the SPS class, that when Don Whelan drove that, he probably went back to 05, but then again, I'm probably wrong. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, and then I, gosh, I don't remember anybody else being 05 until, um, until Pat. I feel like there was a while where the 05 wasn't really much used. Um Gosh, who else would be 05? Um, I know Timmy Guru was five, and I think I think there was, uh, let's see, his, I want to say his backup was, I feel like he put in somebody in the backup car one or two times, but I don't know, I don't think they made that 05. Um, I don't remember. I think I think I'm out of bullets for the 05 number. The Abolds are 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 the ones that probably are the most famous, you know, that kind of when you think of 05 at a swigger, you think of the Abolds, you know, and and uh that's another one of those like Eddie Bellinger with the 02, Joe Gozik with a double zero, Steve Joy with a 9, you know, it, it's you just it doesn't matter how many other people had it. Um it's kind of their number. Jamie Moore in the 44 would be another one, though. Daryl Peckham had it for a while. And then um, Jim Paternoster, not not the one who is redoing the Champagne rear engine car, uh, but uh, Jim Paternoster, the, dra- the, the driver out of, uh, I think he was in Utica or somewhere. Uh, but uh, he ran 44. But yeah, so the, but you always think of Jamie Moore, at least I do. I think at 44, it's always Jamie. So there you go. I'm going to leave that there. Um, have fun with the 05. I'm sure somebody's going to get one or two that I missed. I just, and I was trying to even sit here and think about out-of-towners who might have had it. And I just can't place anybody even from out of town unless it was a number change from something. But um, don't uh, don't think there was. So uh so have some fun with that. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. And um, again, uh, looking forward to this weekend. I'm, I, I really hate that I can't be up there. Old timers is almost, you know, more fun for me sometimes than the classic just because of the reunion and seeing all the older guys, older uh, drivers and their families and all of that. Um, so I just uh, pray that everybody is safe and has a great time. And again, thanks to our sponsors, JNS Paving, Rich Worth, absolutely, um, the Beethoven of Blacktop. Uh, if you need a paved job, make sure Rich is the first guy you call. Support those who support the racing. Um, and congratulations to the wrencher, Robbie Worth, on uh, 
how good he's running now. Um, and I've talked to Rich about uh, getting Robbie on a show to talk to us a little bit. Um, I think he wants to wait a little bit, so we'll get him on whenever uh, uh, he and Rich are ready to, to have him come on. We'll be, we'll be happy to do that um, and let you all hear from him. And I, I look forward to hearing from him. I've only met him one time. <laughs> and uh talked to him and that was a couple that was a few years ago actually before uh the world stopped uh it was in 2019 i think so i also want to thank uh jeff west and the folks from ipc indie it's ipcindie.com indieperformancecomposites.com uh and uh make sure again if you need anything fabricated go and uh give jeff a call go to the website get a hold of them and also, of course, uh, Skip's Fish Fry and LaGroff's Pub. And thanks to Sean Cathcart and the staff of both of those fine establishments. Go get uh, fish at Skip's and then go hang out at LaGroff's for a while. Uh, have a good time doing it. So um, thanks to all of them for their support. We really appreciate it. And that'll wrap it up for episode 105. Look forward to next week in episode 106, where we're going to review the number 06 and talk a little bit about the fireman, Joe Paino, and maybe some others. We'll, we'll be back with that next week. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Have a great time at the races. Take somebody with you. This is Motorsports Awareness Month, so let's celebrate it up big. So long, everybody. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.